two, one, and we're live. You're tuning into Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin. And today I have Wei Yuan in front of me. So Wei Yuan was introduced to me and he's the co-founder of this thing called Reactor School. And it piqued my interest because first, that's a pretty unconventional name for any sort of institution. So Wei Yuan, if you could please elaborate, what is Reactor School exactly and what do you guys teach? Reactor School isn't a school per mm. se, not like we have a set curriculum or syllabus. Um, we run entrepreneurship education workshops mm -hmm. for youth age 13 to 24. Mm. Our clients are typically uh, schools, ranging from like Singapore government schools yep. all the way to international schools overseas. Mm. So recently, we've been pushing very strongly into ASEAN. Mm. So we have clients in like uh, Vietnam, uh, Thailand, and Indonesia. Okay, so to... To, to kind of set the conversation going right, could you please uh, define what does entrepreneurship mean to you? Mm. Entrepreneurship to me means, um, I think most importantly, problem solving and mm. value creation and then tying um, monetary returns to that. And by monetary returns, I'm looking at business sustainability. Business sustainability. Yeah. Because um, fundamentally... To sustain your value creation, to sustain the impact that you want to make, you need to sustain your financial viability. Yes. So that's what we teach to our students. Um, most importantly, when you are working as an entrepreneur, you must always be solving a problem. You must always be value creating for your customer segment. And at the end of the day, you must think about your business model and how you're going to continue to sustain your impact and grow your impact. Interesting. So I'm... Actually, very glad you didn't just sum it off as entrepreneurship equals to owning a business. So, could you? Do you think there's any difference between uh, being an entrepreneur and being a businessman? Are they the same thing to you? It's a age-old question, and I think there's a whole bunch of uh, perspectives on this. Yes, please. Personally, I find that I don't pigeonhole any of our students. If you want to start a traditional business, right? If you find your own, let's say, for example, if you start like a I don't know, a food stall. That's a, right. Could you define what a traditional business is? Right. Um, maybe that's the, not a good use of words, but like maybe businesses that we're more familiar with. So like, for example, food stall okay. or like a mom and pop shop yep. or like a retail business. Um, I guess that term has become more fluid in mm. today's day and age. Um, but it's not something that is groundbreaking or that is um, extremely disruptive. That's fine, right? Because to each person, their own. Yeah. At the end of the day, I return to the original principle of like creating value for your customer segment and solving a problem for a um, bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And if you can create value for them and at the same time sustain yourself and your business through that, um, that's good enough for me, right? Um, but if you do look at textbook examples of what entrepreneurship is defined as, typically it looks at a new disruption or innovation in some part of the business model, right? Be it your channel, your value proposition, um, your price points, mm. or the value you bring to your users or your customers. I have to admit that these two words, disruption and innovation, has been like the buzzword for at least the past decade or so. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I think uh, reflecting all these thoughts back to you. So what problems were Re uh, Reactor School solving? Right, so um, when the co-founders came together, 
Um, and we, although we were all from the same school, mm. we didn't know each other in school and we actually met and bonded and came to build the company based on similar purposes. So Interesting. for myself, it is, um, although school does give you a good backbone, right? Like a good framework. And, mm. and Kevin, this is something that we were discussing earlier over dinner. Mm. Um, to get you started, it can also be quite limiting. So my own personal experience was like, uh, I am not a fan of math. I was in primary school. And after that, I, I felt that um, I've learned what I needed for the rest of my life because like multiplication and mental sum is what I need. So so when they added the concept of algebra, it was like, yeah. fuck. Algebra was pretty good. Algebra is actually pretty useful. But I wanted to get like trigonometry, mm. quadratic equations. Like I was asking the question of like, how is this going to be relevant to me in my life mm-hmm. in the future? And true enough, up to today, I have not really used quadratic equations for any practical use. <laughs> I mean, when you want to cross the few, maybe you know that's a shorter yeah, path. <laughs> yeah, I know that the hypotenuse is probably the fastest path, you know, for me to get there. Yeah. But I don't actively apply it, right? Yep. In day-to-day life. And, um, but I had to study it. Mm. And I questioned that, like, why am I studying this? And when, when I push this to um, my teachers, yep. right, they don't necessarily have the answer. Mm. It's like, okay, you, is this part of the syllabus? Just, just do it, you know? Study, Was this get, in pr- primary, secondary? All the way. Okay. All the way to, you were saying that you went to JC. Did you pursue anything after JC? Uh, yes, I went to uni. Yep. Um, so uni, you get a bit more control over what you want to study. Mm. And uh, for me at the time, I already had my business. So I could see a line of sight between what I was learning and how I could apply it to what I wanted to do. But returning to the genesis of Reactor, right? Um, so I wanted to give youth the opportunity to explore things that matter to them. Like what problems do you want to solve, right? Yep. Where potentially do you see yourself being um, down the road? Mm-hmm. And it could be something very childish at the point of time, depending on when you start this journey with us. With us. Um, and that's okay. But I think most importantly is we wanted to give you the opportunity to build your own line of sight between mm. what you're studying and where you want to go. So your why, basically. Yep. Yeah, so I always say that entrepreneurship is the broadest medium for you to explore because you can do anything pretty much that you want. Mm-hmm. And we'll be there to give you the safe space to say, hey, you want to try this? Go ahead. If you fail, good. Yep. You can learn something from it, right? At least you have taken that path in your own hands and you've made an attempt. Yep. And you can make a more informed decision down the road whether this is something you want to do or not Yep. as opposed to you don't know. Mm. So... I want to talk about uh, your your education journey. Um, we we kind of established a base that you're a '90s kid, so about 1990 the on the dot. 1990 on the dot. <laughs> Wonderful. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, and you grew up uh, with the education system in Singapore. Yes. How how was it like growing up? And what uh what are the I guess things that you didn't understand about it? You you mentioned something about uh you having to learn something that you might not feel the practical need for but do you think on on reflection do you think that uh could be a bit of an arrogance thing that you just didn't want to do it because you're you're not used to it because i would imagine let's say if i I think that the education system in singapore they tend to do everything uh wholesale so you learn a lot of things but uh you kind of have to make the decision you kind of have to have the initiative to 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 kind of pursue what you want so so please talk about uh, your education journey and what did you kind of not understand with it? So thanks for the refreshing perspective, right? I think it's good to call us out on like these thoughts when we are at that age. Where is yep. it arrogance, right? Or is it like, naivety of youth? Yep. Um, 
even when I reflect back now, right, um, with 2020 hindsight, I do agree that a lot of my experiences in school shaped me to who I am to be today. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that later on. Um, but academically, like the, the content that I necessarily had to learn, yep. I would say drawing a link back from where I am now to then, to all those different instances and phases of my life, can we draw a clear line? Okay. It's more of like the stuff that you do on the job, they pick up. Mm. Um, and then you might then relate back to, okay, maybe I study this yep. at a point in time. Yep. Um, but generally, it's a challenge for me to do that. So in that aspect, I would say that really uh, having to study what I studied may not necessarily have contributed to how I can apply it in my life today. But referring back to how school experiences yep. have shaped me, right? I think it's like um, leading a project with a student body. Mm. Um, leading a group of very driven individuals towards a common goal. Those experiences helped me in a lot, helped me a lot in the type of leader I think I should, should be yep. in my own company. So those experiences, I think helped me a lot more. Yep as opposed to the academic knowledge that I gained through the subjects that I had. Does, does a particular memory come to mind when you think about something like that? Or was it like a trial by fire kind of thing? Both. <laughs> <laughs> um, quite a lot of trials by fire, I guess. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, that's what we call like our probation period for people who join our company. Mm. Trial by fire. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, yes. Like I was in the like student council in my junior college life. And we had to run a number of like large events. Like, like a school-wide event? Yeah. Gotcha. So my, my student population, like each batch was about 1,200, uh, 1,400. Anxiety, man. Yeah. And the team, like for example, running an orientation um, team um, on top of studies and CCAs. Um, getting those things in order at a level that we were satisfied with together with multiple different people yep. uh, was very enlightening. Enlightening. Yeah. How so? Well, Kevin, you probably have your own experiences in this, but coordinating a team towards a common goal, mm. getting their buy-in, setting mm. out the goals, yep. planning the steps, and then getting to execute to a level of satisfaction, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And learning that at that age, I think was very, very valuable in helping me with like at a uni level, also other club events, um, running my businesses, like, through that time. So Reactor's my second business. Mm. My first business was a tuition agency when I was 19. Interesting. Yeah. Was it with anyone in particular or did you just start? It was it my batch meets from JC. Ah. Yeah, I just reconnected with them over like a, a meal and then uh, asked me whether I wanted to be part of it. I said, like, yeah, why not? So you were tutoring people? Uh, I never tutored. Okay. Yeah, but uh, interestingly enough, um, but together we started a tuition agency mm. and we matched tutors to students also like a bridge kind of thing yeah hmm but okay so let's say you were kind of forced or you were kind of put in a position where you had to to adopt certain leadership skills do you remember throughout this entire journey was there a particular person that kind of soft imparted these skills or did you did you emulate from or was it just did it did it come naturally hmm because I would imagine at a particular age, I don't think leadership is not a natural inclination. It's either something that you emulate 
or you you try to learn from and you perhaps you you realize it is something that you want to you want to uh to strengthen and you strengthen at a later age what we're saying is that you, you kind of started quite young yeah potentially it could have been a subconscious thing mm. i don't think i was deliberately emulating anything but mm. i had very i had peers i could look up to mm. definitely so um i don't think it was a deliberate intent or effort right it's just like there's something we want to achieve together and the actions and the words and the thoughts that came out of that through the need were very organic. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I mean, definitely there were people that I looked up to um, within my close circle of friends yep. and also iconic figures, but not one particular one in mind. Yep. I just yep. picked up bits and pieces along the way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What, what, what would you say then? Like, uh, throw your entire journey up to this point in 2020 what was something that you kind of had to to work on to 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 being a better leader even up to like recently Hmm. i think um communication i'm inherently Hmm. not a communicator for Hmm. example um i may not reach out to my friends more than once a quarter Hmm. potentially I am. Um, I don't feel a need to. Yep. It's just not um, part of your identity. Yeah, part of it's nature. not yep. part of my nature. Yeah. Yep. But I realized that communication, and as cliche as it sounds, right, is pretty. In my experience, the pretty much the most important thing that you can do as a leader, like mm. providing direction, providing clarity in that direction, and communicating early and often. Mm. Especially, and this this was made especially stuck in the COVID times. Yep. Because previously you could see each other in, in office, right? Yep. You could just like, hey, you know, this is something we need to do. Or, um, hey, how are you doing? Just catching up, uh, making sure that things are aligned. But now you don't even see each other. <laughs> and you really have to make a deliberate attempt and in, like effort to communicate this, these things. And um, this realization only came to me very clearly, like, I think early or mid of last year. Wow. Okay. And it's very easy to just assume that, you know, this is how it should be. Um, but I need to constantly remind myself that not everybody has the same experiences that I have. Mm. They may see things from a very different exactly. perspective. Um, and it's very arrogant of me to say like, you know, this is something that should be done that yep. I shouldn't have to explain. Right, so that was a very, very humbling like thing to understand and to overcome, and I'm still working on it actively because it still pops up every now and then. Did did it lead you to to have to be to to be aware of how you're communicating and how how you're putting things into uh, certain words or anything? What definitely? What is it like? Yeah. Um, be very explicit about everything. Direct. Would it, that would it helps. That, that really depends on the recipient. So I, I believe communication, right? To be a good communicator, you need to understand who you're communicating with mm. and who the audience is. And with each audience, you might need to change your communication style. Definitely. Right. So by understanding your audience, you then be able to better cater your message mm. and the method in which you do so. Mm. So I've had to learn multiple ways yep. of communicating to various people. Yep. Um, it's not just a one size fits all. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. So um, that was definitely a learning. I would imagine even within your team, uh, there is a diverse, uh, I guess, palette of individuals that perceive the information differently as well. Exactly. 
and um, making sure to like get it reiterated back yep. to one to make sure that message A was received as message A and not message B, C, yep. or D. Uh, something I also had to learn. Yeah, interesting. So, um, going back to to what you said earlier about uh teaching, I think individuals from age thirteen to twenty four. Yeah, is there a particular reason why that specific age group? Yeah. So we believe that the youth are the leaders of tomorrow. And that is the group that we would like to reach out to. Mm. And um, I'm not sure whether you have this in your own experience, but like when you're younger, you're uh, with younger audience, you don't have to fight so much with unlearning mm-hmm. and relearning. Mm. So I mean, that's what therapy is for. <laughs> well, I wouldn't consider ourselves <laughs> therapists per se. Yeah. Um, but they are generally the ones that we feel we can have the highest impact on. Interesting. Because, like, for example, if you're really young, yep. like 13 uh, group, right? That's when you're very impressionable and very mm-hmm. moldable. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to impart the entrepreneurial mindset and attitudes at that age. Um, and we really believe that entrepreneurial mindset, right, is a necessary mindset you need to have moving forward. The ability to be relentlessly resourceful, to have fluid intelligence, to apply knowledge and, in, and what you know from one field to another. Um, the ability to be adaptable, to change while at the same time being very have grit in having grit in pursuing a goal an ideal or a vision um, and at the end of it all tying all together is being autodidactic so knowing what you want to achieve mm-hmm. and then being able to teach yourself the things you require to get to that stage yep so it's maybe drawing back to our conversation earlier like if, for example, you, you you said your passion, your skill in the arts was a learned, was a forced thing. Yeah. So that is something that, well, not forced, right, that we want for our students, but we want them to be able to learn, unlearn, and relearn things. Mm. And that usually requires one to know very clearly why you're learning something. Yep. It's not why would you go through all that pain, you know, yep. unlearning is hard. Yep. Yeah. So we believe that that's all, all part of the entrepreneurial mindset. Because as founders, we're all very generalists. We're all generalists. Generalists meaning what like do you I mean? To pick that? up bits and pieces of marketing, and to pick up pick up bits and pieces of sales, sales mm, operations, yep, yep. financial planning. <laughs> I can do a little bit of everything. Gotcha. Right, and these things don't necessarily come. Yep. I have to go and search for them, curate them, teach myself because no one else is going to do that for you. Going off on a tangent a little bit, would you say that the why is? Do you feel that? the whys as to why you are learning a particular thing is of particular interest in imparting education. So can you say that again? I didn't understand do you, that. Do you, do you think like the why, like why do you need to learn something? Like yes. I say, why do you need to learn geography? Why do you need to yes. learn humanities? Do you think that why is, is an integral part to education? Because going through the education system in Singapore myself, I don't think the whys are that afforded to you. You go through it because Quote unquote, yeah. you have to. You're obliged <laughs> to go through it. Yes. If you fail, they, they kind of penalize you. But I think the why is not afforded to you. And you didn't mention it just now. Like if you ask why, perhaps the the, the, the teachers or lecturers can't even uh, answer you because perhaps the education system itself is given to you piecemeal. It's, it's, it's wholesale like that. Yeah, it's very safe. Like it's kind of a roadmap for you, right? Like a blueprint to follow. Yep. And you follow off the beaten track. Hmm. That's when you might start questioning and I think a lot like of people who fall off the beaten track then struggle. Mm. Um, but going back to your question, 
I do think that why is very, very important. I personally feel that it's the most important thing. Um, if you're familiar with like Simon, Simon Sinek, start with why, right? Mm-hmm. You start from the why, you move to the house, and then you end up with the what's. If you know and believe in your why, you will have an infinite number of hows and what's to achieve it. So the 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 core integral foundation is still the question why. You need to be, I guess, uh, aware of it, and I guess courageous enough to just ask it because I would imagine it's a bit in defiance. Yes, in. <laughs> I think it depends on the system you're in. Yep. Because like, for example, in a Montessori school, right? Um, which my wife didn't go through. Mm. It's very much pursuit of what you care about. And the teacher is there to assist you in your journey of learning, right? As opposed to a set piece framework. Mm. I do know that our education system in Singapore is shifting, that it is changing, that the... Um, Could you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've been to school. Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, from, from from what you can gather with, with the students currently in the system, yeah. And the teachers also that we work with, right? There are a lot of changes. Like, for example, like MOE is rolling out a very big change called subject-banded learning okay. where you pretty much can pick the subjects you want to study. Interesting. So this gives... Even in secondary school. Yep. So this gives the student more autonomy to... Like if I give you a, a smorgasbord of choice, yep. you the natural question is like, okay, what do I pick? Yes. And then with what do I pick comes question, okay, why do I pick this? Mm. So it makes you think about like, why are you picking this? Lah? Instead of like, you know, oh, you have 10 compulsory subjects, just yep. do it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Right, which is kind of like my case when I was in school. Um, so I know there are changes coming, but um, it's going to take a while. I've always felt like education systems, especially not say especially, but in general, it's always like an experiment because unfortunately, tech, um, the, the society in general is constantly changing and it's changing at such a rapid rate that education is always lagging behind. It has to because yeah. you, you need time to prepare the curriculum. Yep. You need time to, to prepare systems and I guess uh, that accommodates the majority of people because it is accommodating to the majority of, 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 of children. Yep. Interesting. So with regards to the, the age group you target 13 to 24, uh, when you talk about abstract concepts such as resourcefulness, when you talk about grit, how do you communicate those to, let's say for, 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 for the lower half of the age group, let's say 13 to about uh, 16 or 17? Because I would imagine um, the, 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 the view of the world is, is it, it is unlike one of, let's say, a 25-year-old or 30-year-old that they might have a more complete view of the world. They're more mature in their thinking, hopefully. So how do you uh, communicate these concepts to them? Yeah. This is a great question. And um, thanks for acknowledging that portion about like when you need, you do need a certain degree of maturity before you can start explaining the whys, right? You know, if you're a baby, you just mimic your parents. Yeah. Right? You don't, why? <laughs> I, I <laughs> just, think, just do. Because even if you say that, even... When when you say that, I can imagine people asking why in defiance, but not knowing or not even understanding. You can ask why. You can you can just be the incessant <laughs> fool that here. just 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 keep asking why too. Yeah. But I guess if you're not aware of why you're asking, and people do reply you, and then you're not taking it in, then I think it's it's pointless as well. True. Yeah. Yes, true. There, there has to be a very um. You need to understand why you're asking why. Yes. As well. Okay. So, but to come back to the question about how we get the younger bun like group of students, right? to go through this it's not it's not um, very clear cut mm-hmm. 
it's things like let's say for grit for example yes. right let's say the students like oh I want to give up on this mm. and we just have a conversation with them like one thing that we do at Reactor is that we try to treat our we aim to treat our students as adults not Interesting. like not like a teacher I'm a teacher I'm a, you're a student there's a power difference as a gap we, we take on an older sibling persona mm. and we ask them okay oh okay uh, you want to give up why why you want to give up what's, what's the challenge for you and we try to unpack the reason behind it. And um, and then we ask the student, okay, are these reasons like valid enough for you? Do you think um, you're just giving up because you don't feel like it? And if you don't feel like it, is that, is that okay? Um, because if that's the case, right, then in the future, every time you don't feel like doing something, you just give up. Mm-hmm. And what do you think that's going to be like for you down the line? Yep. And if they answer for themselves, like, oh, okay, maybe that's not something I really want. Mm-hmm. Um, I will try, try to persevere. And then what we would then try to explain to them is like, you should use data to drive your decisions as much as possible. Um, so if you find out from your users, your customers, that this is not a good product, feedback is consistently, or this is poor. And you can then from there decide, okay, and I change something or I just drop it. And based on that, then you make the logical decision. Huh? Mm. And so we try to have these conversations with them to talk them through the their own thought process. Can they catch up? Can they f- follow follow through actually, these conversations? Actually, yeah. yes. We found that most of them can. It's just that you might need to change the language a little bit. You might mm. need to give analogies, yep, yep. Uh, metaphors, but we're all intelligent in different ways. Yep. And it's just the modality in which we communicate our message um, that this needs to happen. So like, for example, if a student is disinterested in our class, uh, we'll just uh, we'll ask them why, why, what's not working for you. Yep. And we'll try to solve that problem for them. By the end of the day, they find out like, this really is not something that they care about. It's a waste of their time. It does not fulfill their why. They will say, sure, that's fine. Mm-mm. As long as you don't interrupt or distract from the others who do care. By all means, yep. play your game. Yep. We are fine with that. Right? Because... It is very arrogant to say that our product is awesome for everybody. Mm. It's not one size fit all. Exactly, right? If you don't like entrepreneurship, that's a fact. Nothing I can do about it. And I'm not going to force it down your throat, right? It's not like I can force you all to be doctors as well. It's not an obligation. Exactly. And we want students to realize that this is a choice and we respect the choice. Just make sure that you're not detracting from the experience of others and that's okay. I think think it's it's, it's quite uh, it's quite counterculture in a sense because as a child naturally you don't make a lot of choices your choices are usually made by uh, especially in a in a in, in Singapore in society it is usually made by someone who is in custodian or a guardian of you like a parents maybe an older sibling so I guess in what you said uh, pushing them to make that particular choice I can imagine it to be quite daunting at first but as, as they get along into the groove of things, maybe they would feel a certain sense of empowerment that, hey, I can choose this. And let's say going back to the, to, 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 to the bandit learning one, I think that it's a very interesting change. It is, it is. I'm really quite looking forward to what like, our education system looks like in five to 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> it takes time, man. MOE, like our education system is a behemoth, right? Mm. Tied down with a mountain of red tape and bureaucracy. Yep. And there um, will always be... Uh, due to the nature of things and the nature of the amount of people you're serving, I think there will always be criticism. Of course. Fair of course. or uh, un, 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 unwarranted, but I guess there will always be criticism because you yeah. cannot please anybody. And I think that's a very natural uh, fact of the matter. Yep, agreed. So going back to what you said about not being teachers, but adopting like a certain older sibling persona, was that 
an integral part when you guys started Reactor School. In the very beginning, you guys said, hey, we didn't want to be, we don't want to be educators or teachers in that particular sense because we went through that. Perhaps that type of persona will not work. Is that a, a conscious thought that you guys had when, when constructing the curriculum? When you first started out, no, mm. it wasn't. It was just the flavor in which the initial team um, began. Yep. And as a, as a, as a part of the, the managing director yourself right, of your own company, you tend to shape your culture. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, only you can say yeah, for your own company. Um, but that was that was how we we did that and we tried to distill it. Mm. To, to synthesize that. Okay, so how is it that we are doing this? What's our pedagogy? How do we teach? Or how do we train? Or how do we execute our programs? Yep. And that's what we arrived at. And it is part of our training for new trainers as well. Like mm. this is the approach that we have. And it naturally self-selects those who agree with our train of thought. Of course, there are people who disagree as well. And then uh, if you part this, that's fine. Right? You have your own method of things. We have our own method of things. Um, no one's necessarily right or wrong. Right? There's just different methods. But this is the reactor method. This mm. is the reactor way. And um, to up to, to today, I would say success. It's quite successful. Mm. Because we are able to bond with our students quite well. Like I just ran a session today with uh, some students from like uh, a client that we had. And yep. they're like 13 to 16. Okay. So quite young. Um, and uh, we run our programs on Discord, which is a gaming com- yep. gaming communications platform. Yep. Um, and While we chose yes, no, no, not <laughs> okay. exactly. Um, <laughs> so one of our students watches anime, right? Yep. So it's part of the intro introduction. Then, so I'm like, hey, hey, me too. Yep. I also watch anime. Okay. Like, well, love the One Piece. Yep. I'm yep. watching Demon Slayer now, and we both agree that it's both quite bad. <laughs> it's I mean, quite bad I mean, anyway. the, the, okay the animation for Demon Slayer is pretty good yes, it is yes, really really yeah, tight yeah, yeah. but I guess story the di- wise the li- dialogue in the story is quite uh, yeah it's typical yeah, yeah. It, it touches on a lot of tropes but I guess the animation kind of saves it but the animation going is, back is yeah. good yeah so we don't have that you know I'm a teacher I need to be proper I cannot talk about like my interest in anime <laughs> or the so, fact so that there, is, there, there is that gap between the professionalism of being like a teacher or an educator and I guess the the, 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 the personality of the individual teaching. I, I wouldn't want to put that in the, into the mouth of MOE, like this is their stance, right? Mm. Um, just drawing my own experiences yep. and yep. what it could be like to be like a professional, like, you know, quote, quote unquote. Um, but that's our method. Yep. That's our style, regardless of the age of our trainers. Mm. So we have people who are like 40s, but this is still the manner in which we engage. Yep. And it closes the gap. Huh? At the end of the day, and this is also like another thing I share with my team and my, my trainers, like people trust the messenger, not the message. They don't shoot it? Depends on the messenger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they trust the, okay. So if people trust you, yep. right, then you'll be much easier to bring across your message. No matter how eloquent the message itself is, if you dislike the messenger, if you cannot connect with the messenger, yep it's up your battle. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So we make that effort to understand our students as humans first and foremost, you know, not label. Yep. You know, a student don't give you a specific yeah. type of pigeonholing. Yep. Yep. We just don't know you. Yep. And then from there, we talk about learning. I would imagine that would be a very old paradigm of, of, of thinking or of teaching even, like having a very uh, teacher-student label and having the arrogance that you cannot learn from the student in that particular sense. Again, that hasn't come up 
Yep, specifically yep. in our experience. Uh, I don't think anybody actually ever says that. Um, but from time to time, you may, we may have felt that. Um, but yeah, again, that is their method. This is ours. Mm. Uh, it may work for them. And ours, we know, works for us. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting because you can see having gone through something like a system like the education signal like that, you kind of know how to, to do things differently and what naturally fits uh, whatever you guys are teaching. We kind of basically teach the way we would have wanted to be taught. Oh, okay. We're scratching our own itch. Like, basically, like we don't want our own kids to go through... So through anime. Can I get over anime games? You know, I'm starting to get a bit of a gap there because like I'm now twice the age of my students. <laughs> In the past, it wasn't so bad. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, trying to keep out the times. Unfortunately, I'm still not on TikTok. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> could, okay, could you, could you paint me a picture? What does, let's say, an average class look like? Or is it like a whole... Does it does it occur over a span of a couple of months? Because you said that 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 level of relativity to or that level of relationship building uh, to the students and the educator is is vital. But I would imagine if it's like a one two hour workshop, that is quite difficult. Yeah. So could you please elaborate on how how your classes are conducted, and if possible, share a little bit on like uh, your own experience teaching. Yeah. So we do have a range. Reactor is Reactor School is, is pretty much a consulting education firm. Mm. So we do have a set of proposals, yep. like you know, this amount of time, these are models we want to teach. But at the end of the day, the first thing we do is ask the teachers or the our client like, what is it you want to achieve? What's your infrastructure look like? What mm. resources and constraints do you have? Right. So again, talking about entrepreneurship, right? Solving a problem, creating value. First we find out like what is the problem you want us to solve? Mm-hmm. What is the job you need us to do? And then we will then craft the proposal around mm. what they need. Of course, it's great. Like, you take our proposal, lock, stock, barrel, then <laughs> three easy, meetings easy. done. Easy, <laughs> you know, easy. We sign a, sign sign contract. a contract, <laughs> yeah, we we'll move on. Um, but we, we keep to the mantra of value creation and problem solving. So the first call with our clients is always a discovery call. Like, what do you need? And based off of that, it can range from, I think our longest program is 80 hours. Your what, sorry? Longest program, 80 hours, one whole year. Over, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and our shortest programs are 10 hours. And this could be in two days or mm. it could be in four weeks or five weeks. Yep. Again, depending on the infrastructure that they have. If you only have two hour time slots and it's a 10 hour program, five sessions. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of tailored. Nah. It's very customized. And that's one of the value propositions that we bring to our clients. Like We will make the effort for you. Mm. And I think one of the best things that our clients share back with us is that we are very adaptable, we're very flexible. We we aim to make lives easy for our clients. Was it was it a difficult uh, pitch in the very beginning to to sell this particular idea to schools? Oh yeah, can you imagine twenty two year olds, twenty one year old go to school and say, "Hey, we want to teach your students entrepreneurship," mm. and they're like, "Oh, uh, what have you done?" Well, <laughs> <laughs> we have great ideas. <laughs> yeah, so it was. Uh, credibility was and still is a challenge. Yeah. Um, fortunately, now it's much easier. I think we are very blessed to have a team that works at the age of excellence. Is it easier because of the portfolio they have done or is it because of something else? That and we present ourselves well. I am quite confident to say that. Like, um, like for example, our materials, our brand 
in terms of appearance is generally quite consistent. Gotcha. How we present ourselves in front of our clients. Yep. Sounding like we are the experts. Yep. Is something we do quite well. And we are confident of the value that we bring. So the sincerity generally carries across. We all in our company believe in what we do. And we want the best for our students. We really want to bring the entrepreneurship world closer to them, to allow them to explore things that matter to them mm. and to give them the space and the permission to like say, hey, give it a shot. Failure is okay. Failure is one of the best teachers. Mm. Right? Don't be afraid to fail. So that is what we want to bring to our students and our participants and the youth that we get to touch. Um, so yes, it was difficult at the start. Um, it's based a lot on relationships mm-hmm. and um, we did start with brand names so that helps okay yeah uh, say so like oh this school has done it before so you know wanna try mm-hmm. we give, <laughs> of course we give, we give discounts la, right? yeah, give pilot, pilot discounts yeah. give us a shot yep. we'll show you what we can do if you like what we do then let's do it again la. yeah I'm curious to know what f- from your own experience what did you learn from your students what what have you garnered from from just teaching them and and conducting the lessons what what did, what did you learn from them the most amazing thing for me from the students that I teach or that I've had a had the not really teach but train or work with mm. is that youth have so much potential like they can do amazing things the only thing that's really holding them back is the permission to do things what do you mean by permission they know that there's a track that is a set of things that they, they should do or based on what we know, like, you know, assignments, mm-hmm. study some textbooks, uh, read certain things, watch certain things and do well at an exam. To me, that's a bit of a, it's a bit artificial because mm-hmm. once you leave the schooling system, right, mm-hmm. you pretty much never do that ever again. Like to have an exam. At the end of the day, one shot, Either you do well or you don't. You're kind of fired though. <laughs> but you can continue, you see. Yeah. From then on, you can learn from the experience. You can do well at the next job. But you fail A-levels, you fail A-levels. Ah. Okay, mm-hmm. again, I mean, you can take, you can retake okay, it again. Again, yeah. You can retake it again. Um, but like an, an exam environment is is not reflective of true life. Right? In which day in your job, you cannot Google something. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Why not make use of resources you have at hand, right? Yep. So... They show me that when you are young, you're actually very creative. Mm. If you give them the space to, to try those creative things, they come on the wildest ideas that at the same time are very inspiring. Do you have any examples? Um, I have terrible memory, which is a problem. Mm. But like say, for example, just today at yep. the workshop that I was, I was um, supporting, the students raised the issue of managing school life, um, homework. And they felt that they didn't have like a wiki page or Reddit. Wait, what? Or a forum where, or Quora yeah, where yeah, they yeah. can just reach out to each other to learn. And so their idea was to create a student-driven mm. network of Q&A, of peer learning. They can create their own content for a specific topic or module and they could go to each other for help to kind of drive peer learning. And these kids are like 14, 15. <laughs> like, that's a damn good idea mm. for students by students because 
at that age, you know exactly what your peers are feeling, what they are struggling with. Yep. And it would be like presumptuous of me, a 30-year-old who has left the education system for such a long time to yep. say like, I know what's best for you. Yes. I know how you can better learn. Yep. And if these students could actually co-create and co-teach, and if, you, if you've done this before, you know that by teaching, you also learn. Mm. You reinforce your learning. Mm. It's a great idea. Yep. Now it's like, will they have the space, time, resources to build it? Yeah, and the answer is likely to be no. I think it leads <laughs> it, it leads quite nicely to my next question, which is about the the, the current generation of kids. Uh, I would imagine being both nineties kids, they differ greatly from us because we 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 are born and we are educated. I think pre-internet, but on the cusp of internet. But these kids are born in a world post-internet. You said everything can be Googled. Yeah, all digital natives, yes. Digital natives. And I guess just in terms of uh, there is there is choice in the media that they consume. Definitely. There is choice because I think back back when I was growing up, even before the net, there, there wasn't really much of a choice. You see whatever's on TV. I remember just camping MTV and just seeing whatever they played. There is no diplomatic choice and say, hey, I want to watch this right now. I, I can do it. But this current, this, 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 this new generation of kids, they, they, they grew up with that. Yeah. Um, and they are more um, inclined and more unabashed to speak out and to be uh, opinionated just because of the environment and uh, the, the, the mediated environment that they grew up in. So is that something that you observe? Just comparing, let's say 14-year-old that you just taught and you yourself as a 14-year-old kid back then, do you remember like any of the key differences? Like, oh. Does it does it does it does it give you like optimism? It's like it's like, oh, this 14-year-old kid can, I, is, is able to be perhaps so articulate, so uh, conscious, even. It's like you, the, the student-led peer learning. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? When I was 14, I was like going to the fucking land shop, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure yeah, now they don't even have to go to the land shop, right? Yes. Just open your laptop and like, you know, go on Discord. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like play with your friends. Um Wow. Harken back 16 years ago to my 14-year-old self. Honestly, then it was very much just go the beaten track long. Yep. I have to admit I was in a I was I was in a position. I was in a very privileged position to to really just follow the beaten track. And it would generally Serve create well. good results. Yeah. Yep. So in that scenario, in that kind of um societal expectation when I if I didn't know better myself. Yeah, I basically basketball every day, mm. right? Why bother thinking about these things? Yep. You know, it's it does not require computing power. I do not require to. I, I'm not require. I don't need to think about this kind of stuff. Yep. Because that's why I expected. Um. I can't say for sure that this is something that the youth of today think about. What I do know is that during the course of our program, they thought about this thing, and this was just day two of mm. our program. And day one, we were asking them what problems might you want to solve? And we grouped the students based on similarities in areas that they cared about. And this is what they arrived at, at what, on the third hour of our program. What do you mean similarities in areas so they like care about? We, we give them a survey form. Yep. And we asked them, what are some problems that you might want to solve with design thinking? What are the answers you get? I so <laughs> These students also are, I think, generally come from a more privileged background. Yeah. Right? So, um, we have stuff like they want to solve things like social inequality. Whoa! <laughs> climate change. 
Um, but those that are closer to home for them are like uh homework issues, yeah. stress, depression. Yeah. Yep. Um why study? Mm. So there were like three of them who were like school related issues. So we put them together. Mm. And this is what they came out with. Mm. So we get them to discuss and brainstorm like, okay, these are some of the issues you raised. What is it? You guys as a team, you've never met each other before. What consensus can you come to in 20 minutes? Yep. And urgency creates like that push for the creativity to come out. And um, they identified that student learning, peer-driven learning, uh, a resource they could easily reach out to and get answers for things that you want to learn about yep. from students on demand is a problem for them. And the solution was the one that we were describing. Three hours, man. That's all I had with them across two days and this is what they can actually come up with. Tomorrow, we'll be looking at prototypes. What can you wireframe for us? What can you mock up? Like products. How do you visualize mm-hmm. your idea? How do you put it into form? And I'm excited to see yeah, mm-hmm. what they can come up with. Is there a difference? So let's say 13 to 24, uh, let's say we group them 13 to 18, 19, 24. Is there a difference between, let's say, uh, what what you observe from the older, more, I guess, more mature uh, teens, I would say, as opposed to like the the the, the, the more younger crowd? In general, yes, yeah. because we are like the sum of our experiences, right? And by sheer dint of lifespan, yep. the older students tend to have more experiences, especially once you hit 20 and above, mm. because Singapore has been pushing very strongly for students to go get overseas exposure that different perspective actually adds a lot of flavor and diversity of thought yep. to each individual. Like whenever I speak to someone who has attended like the NOC program, National Overseas College program from NUS, and they go and intern in Israel, New York, Shanghai. Yep. Whoa. And they come back and they're like, the world is damn big, man. <laughs> <laughs> the way of life and the, the kind of thinking that we have in Singapore is just one way of so many ways. Definitely. And they are like, wow, I've explored a different side of myself. They literally come back a different person. Mm. And of course, these opportunities are very are limited to a very small group Definitely. at a younger age. Definitely. Right, those who attend more privileged institutions, yep. those with more money. They have the resources to even go overseas, to even consider it. Yeah. Exactly. And these things definitely shape who you are. Yep. And the depth of thought, if you apply yourself, um, that you can produce. Generally, so after you hit puberty, we become a bit deeper la, in thought. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. La. Biochemically, it does make a difference. So there is a difference. And that's why we do segment our programs to level one to four. Um, oh interesting so level 1 is like 13 to 14 level 2 is 15 to 16 level 3 is um, 17 to 19 yep. and then level 4 is 19 and above mm. 20 and above 20 and above so you can kind of group the level 3 and level 4s together and the level 1 and level 2s but there's a gap ma, in between the level 2 and level 3 but at the same time we recognize that there are those who can think more maturely at a younger age yes it is not we actually don't believe in age as a, as a as a metric, as a gauge. Interesting. It's a good litmus test, like a mm. bench, like a yardstick. Yep, yep. Right, but there are 13-year-olds who are amazing. You can think at a 20-year-old, 
Like really? one, of, one of our in, one of our interns now, he's just starting uni. I'm pretty confident that he operates at like career level thinking, twenty four and above, even. What, why do you advanced. think that is? Is it just exposure? very sharp? Yeah, very analytical. I cannot say why he's at that level. <laughs> Never pick his brain. <laughs> I don't work directly with him. Mm. Um, but he he will ask questions people don't typically ask. Yeah, like when you're talking about a project. People will focus on like the details, okay? Yep, yep, Tactically, yep. what needs to be done? He'd be like, why are we even talking about this? Is it necessary? Are we spending time on something that doesn't necessarily need to be done? Can we do it better in another way? And um, so age is not necessarily the thing, but of course, in general, it's a good yardstick. Lah. And when you want to build a company, you cannot build for like, you know, identifying just that one specific person. That's not who we want to help as well. We want to help as many as you can. Mm. When we identify these like unique individuals, they will push them. Can you do this much more? Mm. And then that's when they shine. Right? Um, and that's also another part of the amazing experiences that I had with, with youth. Yeah. One student that I was teaching when I, in 2015, he was mm. 15 then. Yep. Recently reconnected with me on LinkedIn mm. and was wow. picking an idea <laughs> with me that he had. Yep. And I'm like, wow, it's cool. Ah. <laughs> like five years later, um, reaching back out to me about entrepreneurship because yep. he wants to start something. And the depth of thought and effort he's put into his idea is honestly more than uni level already. 50 page pitch deck. Whoa. With a lot of research, yep. citations and stuff. Yep. I'm like, you can probably breeze through uni, like, honestly. Mm. Yeah, but that's because he, is, he has the entrepreneurial drive. Yep. He is, he's friends with like, People who are 40, 50, yep. and they can have discourse, proper discourse about the ideas that he wants to have. He has a backer yep. who is a 40-year-old working in a tech company. Wow. That's why we think that entrepreneurial education is very, very important to get, to accelerate this development of youth because there is a lot of potential for young people if we allow them the space to drive themselves forward. So contrary to popular belief, perhaps the future would... Okay, why why isn't... Why do you suppose such education or such knowledge isn't mandatory? Because operationally, it's hard to execute. What do you mean? Right now, right, when we run our programs, we do a one trainer, one facilitator to 15 people or three groups. Lah. So generally, our group sizes yep. are five people. Yep. There's a lot of dedicated time, you know. The average class size is one teacher to 30 students. Mm. we cannot they cannot afford five minutes with each student yep, yep. you just do math that's 150 minutes eh? yep. each lesson is only 60 minutes <laughs> but when you have high touch teaching you can have a lot more takeaways. what's high touch teaching I spend more time with you mm. I learn about you Yep. I see you I know who you are as an individual Yep. I can cater to your learning Yep. it's personalized learning right mm -hmm. when you can have personalized learning you definitely grow faster because it suits your learning style it suits your interests but operationally, damn hard to do. And I, I, I recognize this fact. So if you can have more teachers per classroom, which is why Montessori is so damn expensive, yep. you can get that. But it's like, do enough people want to be teachers? Are there enough good teachers? Is that something you can foresee in the future happening? I definitely hope so. But unless, until, until teachers are paid, as well as investment bankers, Mm, like there is a how would I say it it's the chicken and the egg problem 
is a mindset of the country law. Mm. In Finland, I think teachers are amongst highest paid, for example. And that's why Finland has such a advanced, like really different meta, different stage of education. Interesting. They have removed subjects. What do you mean? As of this subjects? year at primary school, there's no subject. Huh? <laughs> there is no test. Students work in groups to mm. solve a goal that they determine for themselves by the end of the year. And the teacher assists in their learning to achieve that goal. Can you imagine a 12 year old, 13 year old? We decide together as a team what we're going to do by the end of the year. Teacher says, okay. Hmm. They then question your thought process. Why do you, achieve, why do you arrive at this thing? Why this? Why not that? And you must defend. Ah. And you're able to defend. Okay, good. Now we have the goal. How are you going to get there? They need to start building for themselves that path towards the end point. Pretty much like how you are in life. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you think that is something that perhaps Singapore could adopt? So like a prime, okay. So let's say uh, a primary set of education, like you learn the basics and past that, it's more like a, more like an adventure. You, you, you choose what you want to learn in the near future. Do you foresee that? I personally like the idea, but I cannot claim that I have the Hope. foresight, <laughs> the foresight or the considerations that MOE has. Mm. I I am confident generally in our in our government. Yeah. And based on what I know of what they do, like for example, URA has 50 year plans. It's crazy, right? And if that applies to all our ministries, they definitely, I believe, have a wider view yep. of things than me. Like a vision, like a macro vision. Not only that, but they're also aware of the constraints, mm. culturally. Mm-mm. Like one of the biggest, one of the most interesting things that I've found out about why... Okay, so MOE wanted to remove PSLE, are you right? I'm not, but now I am. PSL is the primary primary school one, right? 12 year one. To determine... That pretty much determines your life. <laughs> it used to determine, quote unquote, our lives back then. Yes. Is it still now? I would say it's quite a big... It make, plays a big part. Okay. But you know where the biggest pushback came from? Parents. Yeah, mm. like parents. So they are aware of what the sentiment is on the ground. Whether you tear apart social fabric um, and create uproar that cannot be managed yep. or very expensive to manage. And so I would say, I hope that this is something that we can arrive at. But, and that's why I caveated with the fact that I do not have the view that MOE might have. The stats, like, or the everything. Or just, not, just the understanding because yep. they have the resources to view everything. They do. They do. A very wide perspective. I do not have that collective picture. Yep. And I have not made sufficient attempts <laughs> to go and get a collective picture. I, I personally am of that view, but we are not Finland. Mm. We do not have that social fabric that accepts this like teachers being high speed. Yep. Right. Yep. So I cannot say. Let's let's talk about um you talked about mindset and I think culturally that's in Singapore. Um and I guess when, when MOE wanted to remove PSA, there was pushback from the parents. If you could theorize, why do you think that is? Um I guess my parents weren't too hard up on that. Mm. But there were instances where it was like, how do I know my kid is better than yours? Mm. How, how, how do you quantify that measure of success? Yeah. So you remove this, I can no longer say that. Right? Mm. I cannot one-up your kid. <laughs> I cannot get my kid the best resources. 
they can give because there is no longer a metric for measurement. Mm. And that's my guess. That's my theory. I think that our generation of parents are moving beyond that based on the conversations that I have with my peers. Yep. But then again, I'm also aware that my peers are a very small group of people. Yep. Yep. Right. I have come from very, I, I really believe I come from a very privileged upbringing. Yep. And I cannot speak for everybody. Right. But for those people that I know, I think we are more of like, grades are not that important. Mm. And what makes you a good human being? Like that's what's more important. Yep, yep. Right. Um, so I think I'm, even even like uh, culturally, just because of in, in the nineties when we grew up, and even right now with the explosion to the end, I think the, the 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 mindset even is different on what we put emphasis on. Yeah, definitely. And my mom has come to the realization as well that in her period of life, yeah, the golden era where where Singapore was erupting from third country to first in twenty years, right? Yep, yep. Houses were thirty thousand dollars, man. Like I heard about that myth, though. It's not a myth. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> he knows that we cannot replicate that, that anymore. That fairy tale. <laughs> it, it's not. It's, it's a pipe dream. It's no yep. longer real. And yep. we have to adapt to that. Yep. Right now, <laughs> BDO is damn cheap, really, you know. Yep. Compared to other public housing. Six digits. Uh. <laughs> it's still very cheap. Yeah. Um, And that era of growth is over. Mm. At least it's not for our generation. Maybe if we do the next industrial revolution, 4.0, then we may have another leap. Who knows whether that's in our lifetimes or not. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, that period is not there for us. And so that the era of thinking is not a copy-paste. You cannot copy-paste. It's not, it's not applicable anymore. Yep, yep. And that's, that's the way the shift has come in. Uh. And that re- could require an entire generation to pass first. Mm. But at least my mom, who is 60-something, is aware, able, is aware of that. And that, so, I so don't think, good. I think that's a, I would imagine that's uncommon because as you grow older, if you're not aware and you're not constantly changing, you're not constantly adapting, you're not being fluid, I would imagine your your, your thinking kind of gets a bit uh, one-tracked. We do. And, and like you don't challenge yourself enough and you don't get exposed enough to different things. And I think the the, the, the the sickly thing is that if you're not even aware of it, if you don't have anybody to 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 say, hey, that's a bit weird. Why don't you you do a different thing? You think that, then you kind of get, uh, you, you keep bottlenecking yourself into one particular train of thought. Yeah, you're not even aware of it. And that's why we, that's, that's why we think why knowing your why is mm-hmm. important always re-viewing yep. reflecting on that why will help you to keep that self-awareness going and and you're right like, like biologically physiologically you've shown that as you get older it's harder to change your thought patterns your mental model right your your brain literally lays on thicker and thicker yeah. brain fibers on yep. the same path of thought yep. and to Overcome that thinking, you need to lay new layers. On top. I mean, the brain is lazy. Though. It's a fucking lazy. It's true. It can be, it can be very nimble, you know, if, yeah. we al- if we push ourselves to yep. be. But generally, it's harder the older you get. I think it's interesting because in in Singapore society, like I find that the word deprogramming is a lot more commonly used because a lot of uh, subconscious or conscious thoughts we have, they are from the family. They are from the people that we spend the most time with. They are... Sp- let's say with our friends, with the family, with parents, with siblings, and we subconsciously adopt some of their thinking. So mm. let's say, I've always felt that Singapore is a very practical society. It's a very practical and pragmatic society. When I was growing up, I think the the, the, the most common saying is that don't do arts because there is no uh, consistent, I think the word is rice bowl, which I think salary or everything. 
And I think that saying still is kind of being passed around today, but I don't know if it's passed around with the intent saying that, hey, uh, there is no arts career or it's passed around out of like, hey, maybe choose a different thing. So what are your, you being a reactor school, being front-facing to all these students and everything, do you have to help them through certain changing certain frameworks that they have perhaps they inherited from their parents and you tell them and you'd be like huh yeah it's not our prerogative to change them mm. I think the first thing we ask them is like what matters to you if for example you want to have and this is a conversation I had with my, my sister like yesterday huh? so interesting um, if you're okay with let's say for example pursuing ask career and not having a consistent rice bowl good for you ah Mm. you want to pursue that by all means do it it's what you want yep as long as you're happy it fulfills it gives you meaning in life by all means right why be a multi-millionaire yep if you're not happy yep don't do it uh. why be Jeff Bezos <laughs> you know you don't have to be there like define who you want to be you know that's the first step mm. of course tweak it over time with your own experiences to kind of give yourself a form and work towards that as long as you find meaning and fulfillment in that role and you don't cause harm to others or detract from societal value, why not, right? Yep. So what we do is to bring that train of question to them, to the students. And they are the only ones who can give themselves the answer. Mm. No one else can give the answer. If you want to lock, stock, barrel, take the motherhood story, then by all means. Ah. Yep, yep. As long as it makes happy, good for you, you know? I think, I think success is very interesting because I think the idea kind of has to change as you grow as an individual, as you grow as a person, as you get in more experiences. I would imagine the idea of what success would mean would, would kind of meander and change and and not be adopted just from what your parents tell you about success and you follow that narrative or that they, that they told you what to be. And oftentimes it results in a certain sense of unhappiness because you just followed someone else's story. That's one of the things that we want to bring to our students. Mm. So in questioning their whys, in trying to define their own whys, you can figure it, you can start on that path of trying to figure it out for yourself. The narrative and the experiences that our parents give us is our starting point. Because when we are kids, we are a blank slate, right? We have to get something from somewhere to start from. Yep. But as parents also, you can um, create this questioning mindset also. You, you don't have to say like, oh, this is what success is, right? You could say, this is what success is for me. Yep. What does it look like for you? And get and start paying down thoughts, drawing out what f- success looks like or their future looks like and be very accepting of the fact that this is their version of success now. Mm. It could turn 180, 360, 720 <laughs> on the line, right? But the thing is, as long as they have that ability to define it for themselves, you know they'll be fine uh, mm. because they can keep redefining it. I'm curious to know if it's something that your parents tried to teach you when you were young. Defining my own version of success? Not even that, but just talking to you perhaps about fa- uh, failures being uh, teaching you quote-unquote life lessons like these. I unfortunately have very big gaps in my memory when I'm a kid. Yep, okay. Um, Does anything stand out in particular? Or is it just I think interestingly, I, I kind of define myself in opposition to what my parents kind of taught me. Could you define that? So, 
I don't know whether my dad was joking uh, when he said this, but he was like, oh, you should have one doctor in a family, one lawyer in a family, <laughs> and one accountant in a family. You can help each other. <laughs> so now I'm one as an entrepreneur, one as a chef, and the other one is in the media. <laughs> in the media space, creative media space. Yep. Um. So if anything, yeah, it's, it's the curious thing for me. Like, I, I wonder to myself sometimes, like, did I, did I shape myself in opposition to what yep. my parents thought while I deal um, but I think as a when I was younger I had a like even in secondary school I did ask uh, like why am I studying this why am I learning these things I enjoy sports so I play sports yep right um, but how does this then contribute to my life later down the line sports la. yeah I had these questions I don't know how much of it came from my parents mm-hmm. or my own experiences, but definitely there has to be some form of influence yep. in my life. Just I can't pinpoint it. I think due largely to the fact that I can't remember a lot large parts. Of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Has there been any uh, guiding philosophies even up to the day that you, you, you would take heed to or you would I guess, meditate on any particular frameworks that have served you well? Principles, ah. Well, there is one book uh, that I like a lot, like Ray Dalio. It's called Principles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it talks about life principles. It's the economist, the right? Huh? Ray Dalio is the economist? The economist? Is he, it an he, economist? He is um, he's the founder and CEO of, I think, the most successful like investing fund oh, in the okay. world. Um, I've always been kind of a black and white kind of guy. What does that mean? <laughs> So, they're kind of very clear guidelines for me in mm. terms of how I behave. Okay. And how I act. Yep. Um, so, even things like, and this is where my wife has helped me to realize very clearly that there's a lot of gray, you know, yep, in between yep. things. There is a lot of gray. But for me, in terms of my life, how I've... Um, analyze things and be and behave it's generally been quite clear for me what decision I should take in each part of time interesting okay um but in terms of general frameworks uh, can't really think of one right now mm. but I think just be very clear on what is important to you as a value so as I shared with you earlier, right, for me, the biggest value is family. Yep. And I will always try to keep to that. How do you come to identify that? Eh? It's always been a thing for me since I was a kid. Interesting. Maybe because like my own family went through quite a lot of troubles mm-hmm. as a family unit. Mm. Um, so if, like, even when I was a teen, my biggest dream was to have a family and to be a good family man. Mm. Interesting. I actually wanted to start anyway when I was 25. Wow. Is, yeah, that is lack <laughs> behind it. Five, five years ago for me. Is that? I guess that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so. What changed? Even, even in the, I just didn't manage to find a partner. <laughs> <laughs> Tinder nothing, wasn't not, working. Nothing has changed. <laughs> actually, I've never used Tinder. Um, so now it's very conscious about really taking the steps to not let work consume my time mm, over mm, family. Mm. 
So I know this is what's important to me. And this therefore then guides how I behave and how I act. And so I have to catch myself, like, you know, I have to finish this so that my project can be done by yep. this date. Yep. I have to like draw the line, 7 p.m. I want to spend time with my wife. Yep. I'm going to do that. Yep. Yep. And if I have to wake up earlier tomorrow, I'll do that. <laughs> yep. Yep. But yeah, so do, do that having knowing what matters, what truly matters and is important to me can really help make a lot of decisions. Help me with making a lot of decisions. But I guess with regards to finding out the boundaries or these particular boundaries that you want to work in, you kind of have to feel about, right? You kind of have to throw yourself into the thick of things and you kind of have a need to have like an epiphany or revelation or someone has to point it out or you just go to a point hey, I cannot do this. You have to reflect upon it. Yes. So there's a, I would imagine that there comes a point or there is a certain amount of uh, level of reflection and self-awareness that you realize, hey, this might not actually be what I want. I want to to put more emphasis on my family. And that is how you clearly define or you clearly, like, let's say, polish this uh, this particular thing that you hold precious to. Definitely. I think reflection is very key. It's very important. I don't deliberately do it, but I think I organically do it. Mm. I will think about like what I've done so far, yep. today, the past year. Yep. I'll subconsciously measure myself on my own unknown metrics of whether I've done well or not. Yep, yep. Um, but I think spending the time to really dive into yourself, your own experiences, who you think you are as a person. Like, I think who you think you are is a very, very important phrase. And try to reconcile that with how you behave and where you might want to see yourself in a, in a few years' time. Might lead to some interesting answers about yourself. Mm. And then that's when, if you haven't done that before, or don't consistently review that, you might get what I think a lot of people now call quarter life crisis. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, so, do you think the answer I don't know is, is valid? I think it is. Okay. But you should not then say, I don't know. Okay, lor. Mm. it should be I personally believe like you should continue to investigate what's the question there was one there's a philosopher who said the life unexamined is not a life worth living Carl Young I think I don't know I'm very bad <laughs> at the authors I can always remember the story but I don't know who wrote it or yep, who wrote yep. or said that a life what's again could you repeat that oh um, a life unexamined is not a life worth living Mm. because you can just pass through life you know your life is your own movie yep, yep. and at the end of the day you're like what did I do what happened I don't know <laughs> but it's interesting because just when, just reflecting on my experience with the education system so uh, primary secondary poly yeah. there wasn't any thought on introspection yeah there wasn't any mention now I think it's a bit of a too much to expect the education system to provide such things but you would imagine if it's such a crucial, uh, let's say, ability or such a crucial skill to have uh, moving towards adulthood, you would imagine that there will be at least some mention of it. Because a lot of the, the let's say, tools or the frameworks I have right now in 2020, I got them all off YouTube. I got them all off listening to people who are leaders in their fields or listening to, let's say, more successful individuals. And I just adopt from there. That's why I think... It is, yeah, there is, there is a bit of a disconnect there because you learn 
or at least I learned, and I'm sure you learned a lot of uh, functional, practical, I think the word is hard skills. But I think in, in, in recent, uh, uh, there, as I said, there's a, there's a shift in society to put more focus on soft skills. So the question would be, how would you define soft skills? Mm. Yeah. I need to address like the earlier part of your statement, right? Is is the mental model of the times. Okay. Like what is the paradigm for that period? And for sure in the 80s, 70s, we needed people who were very good at execution or without regurg- much creativity. I would say regurgitation. Could be. Yeah. Very good at performing because that's what Singapore needed. Yep. yep. But when you move to the knowledge economy, which is what it is today, where content, knowledge is commoditized, right? Yep. You said, YouTube is your best teacher. Yeah. If it's you university, know man. what inputs to put in your search field. I think you need to know, I think I, I think the, the, the one of the more interesting questions is, is you need to know what to search for. If exactly. you don't know, that's if, what I mean. Yeah, if, if, if you don't know that these thing, this thing exists, you wouldn't know what to search for it and you're kind of handicapped in that way. Exactly. So what you put in your search field, right, yeah. determines the, the relevancy of the knowledge yep. you can get. But if you don't know why you're searching for something or what is it you're trying to search for, right, then it's not useful. Mm. YouTube is a tool, right? You still need inputs <clears throat> to get the right outputs. Yep. Okay, so your question was like what? are soft skills. Yep. To you. Yes. To me. Very basically it's like non-technical skills. It's like for example, math or like being able to code, like learn, learn a computer language. Yep. Or um, even like knowing your content for South Asian history as a South Asian history teacher. Okay. Like this answers like hard skills to me. Soft skills are things like being a good communicator, mm-hmm. um, be it as a listener or as the one pushing the message. Mm, communicator. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I think list <clears throat> is a two-way thing. Yep. And the listening skills are as important, <clears throat> if not more important than being able to communicate a message to others. Mm. Empathy. Not sympathy. Like putting yourselves in the shoes of others so that you don't make you don't have preconceived notions. You don't assume too yep. much. Um, like for example, when one of the students from today wasn't responding, wasn't participating, very easy response would be like, oh, this, this person's not interested. Yep. Couldn't give them. To exercise empathy would be like, would be to find out why. Is this class not relevant to you. Mm. Are you having family issues? Yep. Is your internet connectivity poor? <laughs> yep. Yep. Right. Taking the time to understand first before judging and taking any actions. So I think I would call them like human skills. Human skills. Interesting. Like, being a good human, you would need these skills. Yep. To first and foremost try to understand. And then reflect mm-hmm. before acting. Yeah, generally, any skill that falls under this flow, I would say, is a soft skill to me. I, I would imagine <clears throat> it is. It will be difficult 
to to kind of quantify these things because how would you how would you quantify the intangible when you talk about empathy? How yeah. So the question that I will ask before that is like, do we need to quantify it? Mm. And there are generally two schools of thought. One is yes, one is no. Yep. The usually for the yes side is so that we can measure law. Yes. Without data, we cannot make proper decisions, right? But when you measure something, right, what can you do? You can gamify it. So you're not gamify it. You can game it. Mm-mm. And that's where it kind of loses its value. Like the point is not to game it. The point is to develop it and to be a better person for it. That is the quandary that education systems around the world, ministries of education have to face mm-hmm. and tackle. Like, do we need to... As a startup founder, like, as what my co-founder always says, what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed. <laughs> what doesn't get measured can't be managed. Mm. So with the founder head, with the business person head, like, you want to measure it. And which is exactly, so here's a shout out to my friends, um, um, Felix from Skilio. He and his team are building a, a tool to measure soft skills development through group interactions, 360 mm-hmm. feedback. And they're trying to build um, some AI software mm-hmm. that picks up on behavioral actions, words and thoughts to link back towards development in a certain area like leadership and communication. Yeah. So there's some, there's stuff that I'm not that familiar with, lah, right? yep. but he's trying to do that. He's trying to quantify soft skills development. Yep. And you can imagine, right, if this works well, so many companies in the world want it. Right now you can quantify like your ability in math, for example. Or your ability to code, your ability to exactly. do all these hard skills. Correct. It's, yep. So it's a huge market. And I guess it's rewarded as such. Correct. But we need to be careful not to quantify it so much so that it becomes the end. What do you mean? Trying to get a high score Mm. on soft skills development becomes the end because that's not the point. It loses the point, yeah. Yeah, right. It's It's a means to understand yourself so that you can continue to develop yourself in that direction. I guess it creates a very artificial society. It reminds me of the Black Mirror episode mm. where they, they're they doing, I think it's season, season five or season four, episode one, the one where they have the artificial likes and you rate them really. Yeah. And, and you rate them out of, uh, uh, I guess, pleasant interactions and you give them a higher rating and if you have a higher rating, you can, you, are, you have more privileges basically. It's, just, it's like a social score. Which is what's happening in China, right? <sighs> We don't talk about that, but yeah, yeah, but but that that, that is one of the the. It's in place, uh. It is in place, it's yeah. In place. So, it's a tough balance to strike. Mm. Very tough balance to strike. You know, in Singapore, like, if there's a system, we know the system. We will game it, right? Naturally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess in 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 humanity in general, uh, if there are rules in place, we will find out what the boundaries are, and we will we will skirt it. Yeah, well, if you know how it works, you yep. know, push the right buttons, uh, and yep. know, behave in a specific way, which is why. If you do a focus group and they're aware it's a focus group, people will behave differently. Yes, they will, they will device, answer right? differently. Yeah, yes. It's a bias. It's a, it's a confirmation bias that there exists. So yeah, th- this is my take on what soft skills are. Whether it should be measured or not. Tough. Uh, tough call. So lo- lo- looking at the online sphere, I would say that 
there is a <laughs> there is a great lack of soft skills. What is it? Because go to let's say a popular YouTube video and you look at the comments that there is a distinct lack of empathy. There is this there is a distinct lack of let's say responsibility and accountability, which I assume would be soft skills. Why I say that is because you see the vileness and the most ridiculous uh, hate, hateful comments, like even not just even like under YouTube videos, or it's just like say tweets and everything. I would imagine that there is a perhaps the anonymity of the internet kind of kind of removes that that perhaps the, the 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 need for consideration that you're actually speaking to another uh, human. I agree. The screen definitely gives you a layer of protection. But I believe it's just an amplification of the person. What do you mean? Technology is a tool, right? Mm-hmm. To allow you to magnify your voice. Because you can reach that many more eyes, that many more viewers, listeners, so on and so forth. But fundamentally, the is is it really a question of because the internet is there, therefore people become less uh have like poor soft skills or has this always been there and it's just like technology amplifies what you already have? I think it's always been there. Yeah. So on the online world, I think it just exacerbates and makes it very clear that there's a spectrum of people on, on in the world. Yep. And it's much more visible now, right? Yep. Yep. So technology is generally always like in my in my view, generally neutral. It's the people who use it. Mm. You can do much more good with, with technology. You can also do much more bad technology so like there, there are those who use technology to encourage inspire support yep and on the other hand of, of course those who use it to put others down yep piss people off yep just say whatever you want to say uh, because they can yep right so I think that the, the online sphere just gives you that opportunity to amplify but the, the red, what is, is has already been there. Let's let's talk about uh, I guess society today and culturally. Um, the internet and the arrival, I guess today, 2020, post-internet, it has been around, let's say, a good 20, 25 years or so. And I guess through the internet, there has been a shift in uh, the way media is consumed, the way media is created. Let's say YouTube, Vimeo, uh, Instagram, TikTok, and all those shit. There is a there is a very interesting shift in how uh, media is created and how media is distributed as well. Yep. Yeah. There is n- news. Uh, tra- traditional media is on the decrease. Well, I guess digital media things that we can access via phones they are on the rise or even on a search. What are your thoughts on that? Wow, very broad-based question. Like, GP. Yep. <laughs> what are my thoughts? Uh? It's true. Uh. It, it democratizes uh, information creation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as much as I hate to say it, uh, yeah, it is really enabled fake news. It's mm. enabled the manipulation of information to a degree where it's really very hard to tell like whether something's true or not. So hard. There's a problem. Um, is that where critical thinking will come in? I think even critical thinking itself is not sufficient. Why do you say that? Because if the information you get is not true, right? How are you going to verify? Google. How are you? Yeah. So, but then you Google, right? And then you have multiple sources of yep, verification. Yep. And then 
it's a rabbit hole of verification. You know? <laughs> and we don't have the tools or honestly the shits to give to analyze it. Yep. And it takes a lot of effort and a lot of guts to face yourself and say, am I supporting this just because it supports my worldview? Mm. As opposed to, is this actually factually correct? Yep. Yep. Like how often do you like, hey, this is a great article. I agree with this. I'm going to do like my literature review in front of the author and where it came from before posting it. Or you just read the headline and you move along. <laughs> so I just avoid posting in general because I know I'm too damn lazy yeah, yeah. to go and find out. Yep. So, right, yeah, it's a pain. La. <laughs> and and that's why I think, uh, fortunately, the credible news sources are back on the rise again. So, you know, we're worried about, not we are worried, la, but there was a concern, I think, for the news agencies that they would no longer be relevant. Mm-hmm. Well, right now, if you can you can establish yourself as a source of credibility that I think has great value in that because you actually have one source you can trust as opposed to like 100 sources and you have no bloody clue who is correct, yep. who is real, who is lying. Yep. Right. Um, so, I'm, I'm, I, am, uh, I am guilty of just picking my sources. Yep. I am very glad that my wife is keen on news because without before her, it was just Facebook. Pretty much. <laughs> and like random articles I see there. But yep. now like... It's just one slice or one portion of the, let's say, 100% of news. You only get like 10% of it. Yeah, it tires me out, man, honestly. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what to what to listen to. Yep. And I'm too lazy to figure it out. And it kind of bogs you down, does it? It weighs me down, yeah. Yeah. So, like, for example, last time I was reading Straits Times, right? And honestly, sometimes the stuff in the Straits Times is like... <laughs> What is this? Why am I reading this? <laughs> so I just go to this comic session and uh, live section and read yep. the comics. Yep. Uh, but now every morning we try to listen to The Economist. Mm. Um, we hope that there's a very verified source. We have our favorite podcast. Yep. Um, and it honestly has brought me stuff that before my wife I would not have known about. So your, cons- about. so your consumption habits have, have kind of changed yeah, of as course, well. Right? And for additional person and we live together in my life that's just changed my life yep. um, greatly and for the better, I believe. Yep. So like learning about like the, the elections in Belarus, mm. how it's completely fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. It's insane. I would never have come across that information before if not for my wife. No more would I have cared. Because of that level of detachment, I mean... I just couldn't be bothered at all. Yeah, honestly. because perhaps one might not know where Belarus is, one might not even ever intend to visit Belarus. So naturally, logically thinking, why should one care? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the why should one care is probably the the thing, right? Like, yep. How does this matter to me? Yes. And um, that can be a dangerous stand to take. Why, why is that? Because if everybody's just selfish, right? We will live in a very um, separated world. Mm. We all live for ourselves. And history has shown that that sucks. Uh. That doesn't bode well for society in general. Yep. So, if we just all acted in our own self-interests, society will decline. Uh. Civilization mm. will decline again and then we'll go through the rise and fall. <laughs> oh, <again. God. laughs> but that, that, that's how history has shown us to be uh, as individuals. Yeah. So also in, in, in society today, I believe 
due to the exacerbation from the internet and of social media, there is a rise in what I would like to call entrepreneurship culture. Mm. There are individuals or gurus, I think guru, yeah. Um, because of, of, of the, as we touched on, the democratization of, let's say, platforms. They're able to release content and through the, the, the constant release cycle and gaming the algorithm and I guess just reading a couple of books, really. And to able to garner a sort of like an influence and garner a sort of, let's say, uh, followers that, I don't know, it feels a bit predatory sometimes. They, some of them, there's there's been a, a lot of recent, let's say, videos or even exposures about certain gurus that is very, how would I say, I think the word is predatory at mm, the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It plays on fears and hopes. What, right. what, what are your thoughts on this? Perhaps this rise or this search of uh, entrepreneurship culture? And yeah, let's, let's start with that. Mm. It's definitely been in the spotlight for a period of time ever since the time of Zuckerberg, mm. right? Facebook and the unicorns. Yeah. It is not healthy to think about entrepreneurship that way without knowing the full story. So when we share about entrepreneurship to our students, we also share that it's a very painful path. Painful path to entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is a painful path. Okay. Yeah. It's not just the glitz and the glory. There is a lot of work you need to put in. There is a lot of health you need to put in. There's a lot of mental struggles you have to put you have to you have to overcome. Yep. And we share this with our students. It's entrepreneurship is hard. Mm. It's also very fulfilling, mm. but you need to be willing and able to put in the hours and the pain. Yep. And the failures and the rejections. And it never gets easier. Like, you think starting a company from very scratch is difficult. Wait till you start getting a company with people in it. Like you have to be an employer. You have to keep the company aligned. You've got to create value and overcome things like COVID. <laughs> Do you think people have misconceptions or what? having a company is like definitely because of media yep as you said um no one covers the failures not really okay there are definitely some yes it's not glamorous yeah it's not fun yep. it's not sensational it's not like whoa right <laughs> like but it is a very 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 big part of entrepreneurship mm. 99% of us fail mm. that's the fact you can believe you're the 1%, uh, but you better be aware that you can also very well, you are likely to be the 99%. And I would imagine that there is, there is no, as I said, as, 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 as we just talked about, there is no mention of the 99% and there is an over-amplification of the 1%. I wouldn't say there's no, because yeah. there are definitely those who are pushing very hard to educate others about the 99% as well. But generally what's shared, we shared is the, the wins. Yep. Um, and that's not something that we want to bring to our students. We want to bring to our students the reality of it. And that's why we make them do tough things. Like for example, build your prototype, get to working minimum viral product, push it to your users, get rejected, get told that your product is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and you need to work on it, man. Like, you know, yeah. your business model is, you're going to, they're losing money for every product you create. Why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, Go through those paces. And then at the end of it, you still want to do it before you are. Mm. By the end of it, you say you don't do it, also good for you. Right? So, do what, what we're trying to do is get 
them to experience what it is to actually be like an entrepreneur yep. and make a more informed decision later on whether this is something for yourself or not. Yep. So we're not hard up about our students becoming entrepreneurs. Mm, okay. What we really want is for them to the entrepreneurial mindset. Because if you can operate like an entrepreneur in your job, I tell your boss will love you. As an employer, right? I would say I love people who are like that. Right? This is the problem. This is the goal we want to achieve. These are your resources. These are your constraints. Can you build a plan? Get there. If I have someone like that, everywhere. There is inherent value in thinking like that, operating like that. Just imagine you are you're leading a team and everybody is like that. Mm. Off to the races, man. You see, man. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to coach as much. You don't have to lay guidelines as much. You yep. don't have to manage yep. as much. You just chung together as a team. Ah. So it's not a top-down, uh, like the boss say you just mindlessly do, but it's a top it's a top down, it's it's more like a, a very level thing. Like the boss say, hey, let's this is the goal, you figure out yourself. And you can just trust the 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 individual to just run things by. So because he has that, he, he catches the drift of what you're trying to do. So yes. okay, reflecting the question back to yourself on uh, the entrepreneur mindset and with failures, is there anything in particular that you remember that you would consider a failure, but you would have to, to perhaps work through or perhaps you're still struggling with it? Yeah. Hmm. Um, one of my biggest failures was not being able to communicate one of my employees mm. we had different working styles we had different expectations of each other mm. and I as the senior in the team and as the co-founder of the company was not adapting fast enough to the communication style and one of the struggles was like how much do I adapt what do you mean how much how much am I like am I overcompensating to fit the other person am I not also putting down my foot sufficiently to get that person to see that they also need to make a compromise mm-hmm and that was damn difficult because we operated on different sides of the scale. Right. Um, and it was very difficult to overcome. So there was a point where if there was not there was insufficient leadership or change from my end, the employee would not stay. <laughs> but what I'm proud of is that we both were able to state what we expect of each other realign on what was possible and make those executions um, to continue working together. Oh, wonderful. And I learned a lot about myself, about how I have shortcomings in my ability to communicate and sometimes unrealistic expectations of others because mm. I laid my expectation on myself onto others. Mm, and that's not fair. That is not fair, yeah. Because they are not me and I'm not them. Yep. Right. I am older in this particular case. Yep. I'm a founder, right? So that that portion of empathy was not exercised by me. And that was a moment of failure to me. So I had to relearn to put myself in their shoes and not simply have expectations. Mm, interesting. So I'm um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. Do you think entrepreneurship is nature or nurture? Oh wow! Mm, I think everybody has an innate ability to be an entrepreneurial individual. Okay. To a certain degree. Mm. So, for example, I know people who are like, I want you. I would love to just execute. Why needs direction? 
and a sandbox. I would love to execute, but all I need is direction. And a sandbox. Like, what can I play in? Okay. Okay. They don't want to chart their own course. They don't want to come up with new ideas. Yep. They don't want to take risks. That's fine. Yep. But certain aspects of entrepreneurship, uh, being an entrepreneur can definitely be still used. Like, once I've given you a sandbox, can you maximize the sandbox? Mm. <laughs> Can you ask, like, if I want to break the sandbox, can I break it? Can I try different ways to achieve that goal? Can I change my sand in the sandbox? Yeah. <laughs> right? Can I add water into my sandbox? <laughs> Stuff like that. I think that's always useful. Like, aspects of entrepreneurship and being entrepreneurial can always be leveraged. Mm. So, we want to explore that with the youth and get them to identify, like, what parts of themselves or their traits or characteristics can be amplified as a strength. And then if there are any severe weaknesses, we can show that up. Um, I cannot give you a clear answer on whether it's nature or nurture. Mm. I believe that portions of it definitely can be nurtured if you apply yourself. Yep. Just like how you applied yourself until you could do what you could do. Mm. Right. But I cannot... It would be very presumptuous and arrogant of me to say like for everybody, it's either nature or it's nurture. Humans are not that uh, not simple. That, yeah, so yeah. as I said before, I used to be very black and white, right? Like, you pia enough, you can get it. Mm. But that's not true. Mm. You can pia, but if you hate it, it will eat away your soul yeah. and you will fall apart as a person. Pia is chong, right? Chong, sorry. Chong, chong and chong is rush, right? It's whack. It's whack. <laughs> whack. <laughs> One thing I've learned is you can have discipline over doing something that you don't enjoy. You can never have discipline over doing something you don't enjoy. Is that, is that what you said? You can, you can. Oh, you can, okay. But at the end of the day, what is re- what is left? Just imagine this. Uh. Let's say uh, doing a task that you don't enjoy, like you really fundamentally, you do does not make sense. It's a drag. Yeah, yeah, it's a drag. It's, um, it's like a file, a nail mm-hmm. file. Mm-hmm. And it's just filing away your soul. Yep. After 10 years, uh, you got no more soul left. <laughs> You're just a worn out husk of a yeah, person. Yeah, husk. <laughs> can, can. Yeah. Right, but is it good for you? At what cost? La? Yeah, at what cost? So you must be aware. Like one of the things that's not so good about startup culture is that, you know, am I doing my best? And by my best is I do this 24-7 for like forever. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily good. Mm-hmm. If you love it, you're Elon Musk, by all means, uh, you can work 100 hour weeks. But if that's not you, I'll be aware of the fact that that's not you and that's not what you want to be. And then make sure that what you're doing in terms of your entrepreneurship journey suits you as a person. Going back to the social media thing, I would imagine that there is a over-romanticization of the, the eccentric founder of the startup that works relentlessly and tirelessly at its goal and achieves that, that, that level of fuck you success. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we talk, we talked about Jeff Bezos, we talk about Elon Musk, and let's say, I guess even for Jack Dorsey and Zuckerberg, I mean, even Bill Gates, I mean, going back to all these of Steve Jobs, I think the 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 the, the poster child really. They He's the OG. <laughs> because <laughs> there there is these are the hallmarks, I would imagine, let's say, even in Singapore and Silicon Valley, yeah, these are the people that that made it, that made it without uh against the grain, uh very counterculture even at that time for Apple. Steve Jobs got fired, got hired back again, start, went to Pixar. Whatever, whatever, all these different like uh, myths, really, and I keep reading articles and and watching videos of how that there is this unhealthy obsession with uh, wanting to emulate that in or in a new startup, and it it creates a very sh- 
it creates a very weird working culture. Like the because in let's say you it's 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 very difficult to so it, it will either be like the the founder trying to do everything himself and burning out and crashing and burning, or the startup founder trying to create a team. But with a team, you have different people. You have people of different um uh, different wavelengths, different frequencies that can contribute differently, but they're not you. And that will inherently create frustration because uh undue expectations. Yeah. So there is a would you say that there is like a over-romanticization of uh, what startup culture is? or wanting to achieve success right off the gate and failing to meet that particular success and just losing interest or losing momentum and just say, fuck it. Yeah. Mm. Off the cuff, yes. Because that's what I've seen too. Like, oh. Just like what you see like, on social media, on even on Google. Um, and I think that's because like, that's what generally we see success to be. Mm. We all see like Elon Musk, Richard Branson, you know, fuck it, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the conventional measure of success. Yep. What you are seeing now, right, fortunately, is a lot of um, social enterprises who champion a different version of success. Social enterprises? What do you mean? So, doing good. Making impact on a few lives at a time. Not like scaling everything from day one, you know. <laughs> Making billions of dollars, like that's our goal. Yep. So, this goes back to like, you know, what's your version of success? Yep. Your why. What matters to you? And making a billion bucks is not my version of success. Why do I need a billion bucks? Like, I cannot spend it all mm. in a meaningful way. Yep. Right? In a meaningful way. <laughs> yeah, you know, I can buy like lots of shit, but yep. like, you know, what does that matter? Mm. <laughs> At the end of the day, how does it improve anybody's lives? Yep. Even my own. So I think there is that romanticization as with, I think it's a carryover of our past as well. Like five C's, you know, in Singapore. What, what is it? Condo, I, I, I keep hearing about that. Yeah. What, what is it? I can't remember a few, like cash, condo, car, <laughs> career. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know what's the last one. Obviously, I don't really care too much about it, right? Yeah. Uh, the question you should ask yourself is like, is that really what is success? Mm. and I mean if that is success for you then well and good then by all means go and do that thing and if that work style suits you also by all means go and do that thing yep but I I know people who are trying to make differences in their own ways in what is in, in, the, in the ways that make sense to them mm. that still improve society and it doesn't have to be 10,000 users every month, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, if you know of back Andy Barbers. I've um, heard of the concept, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a small organization run by um, Inzo. Mm-hmm. And he gives very, very cheap haircuts to immigrant workers. Yep. And he's their friend. Like, he meets up with them, buys them meals, you know, he cares about them as human beings because they've built our country. <laughs> Whereas, like, the majority of us, myself included, don't take the effort to do mm. so. Does he make a lot of money from that? No. Mm. I don't think so. Maybe he does. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's not, I think, what he cares about. Yep. He cares about connecting with them on a very human level and showing them that they are not just construction workers in our country. 
And if that's his version of success and that's what his team feels is, is their version of success, then thanks Inzo and team really for mm. for playing your, for doing this role yep. that the rest of us don't. So I think what I've realized throughout our conversation is we keep circling back to the same thing, right? Like what is your why? Yep. Define your own success. Investigate yourself. Plot your own, try, try your own course. Plot your own journey. As scary as that may be. True. Yeah. Sometimes you just want things handed to us, right? Which is what we had. I think we probably what we still thought. have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and realize that that's not necessarily what is best. Right? What is good is generally not what is easy. Mm. So, um, drawing back to what you said about like there's a lot of stuff out there, right? Uh, we talk about commoditization of knowledge and what is real, what is actual factual stuff versus what is like fluff. People just made out on the spot because they felt like it and it sells. I think this introspection and and being able to define for yourself who you are, what success looks like to you, looks like to you and how you want to get there in your own terms is is the question uh, for our generation. Because the world is going to change so much. And it's a constant question, I would, I would imagine. It isn't just a question where you fill out once and you stick to that fucking plan for 10 yeah, years. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And this is becoming more pertinent as time passes, right? Because mm. the world changes so much faster than before. I mean, we just experienced a life-changing event a couple months back. Yeah. <laughs> and who's the, who's the savings next one? Yeah. Right. Uh, sustainability, climate change is always on the age of our minds. Yep. Right? It's part of the conversation all the time. And what for example, effective change have you made to your lifestyle to contribute to that conversation? Yep. So yeah, you're absolutely right. We have to keep asking ourselves this, this question and uh, it's not easy to do so. Because we can get swept up in the day-to-day, right? Naturally, if you are not, how would I say, you're not rooted, I guess, in your principles, your beliefs and your identity, really. It's easy to get swept up um, perhaps with your with, with work. Perhaps with, with people just talking and just uh, getting emotional in that sense, or even news, I think media, the type, the type of media that you, you consume, uh, type of, uh, the type of emotions that, you, that, that, that they put out, I would imagine it would be easy to get swept up if you do not have uh, a particular strong foundation or roots or even core beliefs. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I think I, I definitely do agree on that. There's so many influences in our lives now because we are so always connected. Like how many WhatsApp pings, Slack pings, <laughs> Telegram pings do you get a day? Yep. And each of these have some minor influence on your life, right? Yep. So I, I agree. Um it's a struggle. It's a struggle that we have to face as a as a as a species yeah. <laughs> with the level of technology that we have. Because now. there's no going back. There is no going back to a time where you're not that connected. It is a quote unquote impossible unless ap- apocalypse happens. Once something like this is open. Can, can, it, is, it is a very weird idea to say to someone hey let's not use WhatsApp to communicate hey, let's not use email it's a one track progress there is no going back to the time but hey let's send snail mail unless it is out of fun it's possible you know I think well, why, why, you why you say to, that if you want to because if you value what you had before and it's mm. a very deliberate effort to do so you can like one of my most holistic experiences in uni right was two weeks on an island without my phone you know I could really slow down. I could really have conversations with my friends. I could really involve myself in the work that I was doing at the time. And there's never been such time ever since then. 
Ghibli. You know Studio Ghibli? Yes. He bought an island. Dude. And the, 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 the idea there is to allow students to go there and reconnect with life. Interesting. With nature. Yep. No phones. Yep, yep. Nothing. What it means to be a human being without your tech. Yep. Or at least not this level of tech. And I believe there are small pockets of people around the world who would want to do that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I've, it's something I've been asking myself also recently, like, what do you need to survive to have a good life? What did you arrive at? Let's say, for example, if you could have your own small farm, you could feed yourself, you know, self-sustain. You have a community of friends like that around you yep. to have, to build proper relationships with, mm-hmm. you know, talk about kids, talk about lifestyle. Anything about, under the sun, really. Yeah, yep. and just spend time, you know, build strong connections. And then contribute to the, to the space around you as a community. Kind of like our kampong life, back in the 1960s, 1950s. <laughs> Yeah, people are actual, actually friends, you know, you know your neighbors. I've, I've never actually lived in a kampong, so I can't I never see. either. But I just hear the stories of <laughs> my miss, mom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> stories. You know your neighbors, friends and kids. I, yep. mean, I had that for a period of time. La. Yep. But people were connected, you know, really connected. Mm-hmm. Not connected via phone yep. to like, kind of like superficially. Yep. Um, isn't that enough? I mean, with being so connected now, we have the tendency to be less connected. Yeah. It's, it's like an insane paradox, right? Yep. So you're superficially connected to way more people, but deeply connected to so few, so much, so many fewer. So, mm. so much fewer. Yep. Yeah. So I was thinking like, really, could I live a happy life then? And I cannot really say no. So Do I guess I, there, there, there might have been a distinct shift or like a gradual shift in your definition of what happiness is as well in, in general. Your, your satisfaction or what you're satisfied with. <laughs> Ironically, I've always wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> have my own ranch, you okay. know. <laughs> uh, vegetables or pigs or produce uh, kind or of animals. like animals and produce. Kind of like an ecosystem on its own. Do you, you play know? Stardew Valley? No. Yo. No. Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley. You go ask your, you go ask your, your, your students about Mobile, it. it. It's on Steam, yeah. Steam. Yeah. I have Steam. I can yeah. get it. Go ask your students yeah. about yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> Star, sure Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley, it? yes. Right. I want an actual one. La. Like That was what I dreamt of. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I love the ocean. So something about the seaside. I, she loves gardening. So basically nothing Singapore has. La. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, Australia or New Zealand. La, where there are more sheep than people. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I think back to my original point. Um, I agree. Like you can definitely take yourself out of this mediated environment. But what I mean is that as time progresses and I'm sure you can testify to the fact that the pace at which society is developing is ridiculous. It's getting to a point where it's difficult to catch up. Like it's, it's, it's progressing every two to three years, two to three years that the cycle of technology is improving. What I mean by that is like there, there is no going back to a time where, uh, let's say using using snail mail is the norm. Like for, for professional engagements, you can definitely take yourself out of this and to go back to, let's say, to, to go in isolation, to, to remove yourself from this uh, this ecosystem. But on the day-to-day, like for, let's say for work, unless you make a conscious decision to just live, a no, live like a nomad and you just disconnect, which is definitely possible, there is no going back to, or let's say even using phones watching television most people don't might not even own a tv right now they just use it as a monitor they just yeah, stream exactly. it let's say emails what, what would be the next uh, development of what emails are i mean there is a lot of talk about wearable tech or i mean right now we have wearable tech but uh implanted tech i mean there is a lot of pushed yeah. in that development and i think yeah. when that happens in particular 
once there might be pushback from people who have lived before but once let's say a new generation of kids get implanted I think that will become the new norm and then that that is it yeah you are kind of that's what Elon Musk would say you're a cyborg you're mm. kind of like a cyborg now yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately humans don't have generational knowledge what do you mean like elephants can always go back to where they were born mm. for some reason genetically it's passed down why do salmons always know where to go back to breed their parents didn't teach them that right so we don't have that generational knowledge so that's why we we have history books yeah but we don't look at correct <laughs> we don't adhere to them <laughs> it's not built into us you see yeah we lose it if we don't read it if mm. we don't store it and that is why we repeat our mistakes mm. okay so going back to your, to your first point right so your world assumes that the majority of the world would want to progress towards that stage I think it's the natural progression I don't think I'm assuming anything I think it, it seems to be that society mm. is pushing towards uh, for technology in every sense of the word to encompass or to creep or to encroach in more on personal boundaries. Yeah. I, I think there hasn't been a large enough movement in the opposite direction or mm. a separate direction. Um, although I can imagine that to be the case. And that will happen if it be a splintered society. Yeah. yeah. Like mankind has two worlds. Yeah. And you just pick whichever one or if there are many, if there are other options, which one you want to do, you want to choose? Um, my 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 view or my count, my question to that would be like, you know, what you mentioned is that necessarily progress mm? for us? Definitely. Uh, are we becoming less human? Yep. And is that important? Like based on my preferences as a human being, right, as a person, is <laughs> what I just mentioned. Uh. Self-sustain. Don't tax the world anymore of the resources that we don't need. Yep. Because, like, is that really important? Like, after you have 100 billion bucks, like, what the fuck are you going to do with 100 billion dollars? Like, what actually? Even if you... <laughs> it's a it's thousand million dollars, eh. Then there's just one of them times another hundred. Like, what in the world... Are you gonna do that? I'm gonna fill a pool of pudding. And swim in it, yeah. A billion times over. <laughs> yeah, just just for fun. Just for fun, right? I can build ten thousand pools of pudding. <laughs> yeah, but true. Yeah. But it, it expense of so many others, you know. Of yep. so many other things. While so many others are living below the poverty line. Why? <laughs> I think that's the the capitalist, I guess, machine or the economical machine that we have, I guess not we, but in general humanity has built infused really into exactly. society and and one of the tipping I think we are coming to a tipping point and that's also the thing like the reason why I think my wife's mom thinks the currency the fiat is going to collapse because yep. people are starting to think is the capitalist norm that mm. we have had for the past X years the right way it's not going to serve or you, it cannot it has reached a tipping point that's yeah. what you so said once it breaks down right and then what is it still this current trajectory of technology first? Yep. You know, or are we going to go into a completely different path? So there? there might hopefully potentially be a fork in the road or even a pivot yeah. in a better direction. And that, that's why I, 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 I would disagree with you in that like the natural assumption is that we will go boom, just down this tech path and then you know, um, in the current trajectory. I mean, like, Mars 2030, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what my co-founder really wants, you know. He wants to be on the first ship out to Mars. Interesting. Yeah. And you're like, 
Send send me on a on a, on a plane to Taiwan with to a farm, and I'm like, yeah, wreck another planet. Mm. I am not too keen on that, you know. Interesting, like, you know, you know, Matrix, right? Yep, watched it. Mister Agent Smith says that humans are a virus on our planet. Mm. It's not wrong, ah. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, like objectively, it's not wrong. Yes, been said that we are the biggest parasites. We multiply and we live forever. We are going to continue living forever. Um, and we don't. Balance with our environment. Yep. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. Um, but still, I, I live as part of the society that does not e- do enough in the counterbalance of that. Like, I've started recycling now, but I don't think it's enough. Stop trying to use aircon. Even if I use aircon, it's like more than 25 degrees. Yep. Yep. Save water. Yep. But like, I still spend hours on my laptop. Uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, still, I still buy my tech, right? Yeah, yeah. Clothes, I don't think about sustainability. Yep. Food, I just buy the cheaper shit. Yep. Yeah. So it's a journey. Uh. So like being more conscious. Yeah, of your actions and what it means to the, to the larger picture. Though. I'm curious yeah. to know, is, are you inherently spiritual in any sense? Uh, not in the traditional sense of the word, I think. So you have a cult? I have a cult, no. No, what does that mean? Like non, <laughs> not traditional religion. Of course, okay. Uh, how would you define spiritual? Um, how I would define spiritual is uh, it could be of a religious practice or it could be devoid of religion. But I think what I'm getting at is that has any pillars or any concepts of spirituality informed uh, you as you form your identity uh, in up to, to this point in 2020? Because I would imagine humanity used to be very connected with nature. Mm. But living in a society such as Singapore where nature is, it's not present. Artificially planted. <laughs> yes. We were just at a, just at a podcast, um, I think the, the previous episode where, uh, yeah, we, we kind of agreed on that. Singapore has a tendency to deforest. Then you plant your own tree and you make a nice barricade around it. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's very artificial, but mm. let's say for, yeah. So I think going back to the, to, to the question is, uh, are you inherently spiritual in any sense? Like, has there been any concepts of spirituality that mm. uh, informed you in, in informing your identity? There's no one particular source. Yep. I just, I just pick things up along the way. Yeah, that, like Bongo. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's a very good analogy, actually. It's mm. kind of like, you know, I, 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 I receive bits and pieces of information after I, I evaluate that if it, if I agree with it, I incorporate it into what I believe or who I am. Yep. And then if consistently is something that resounds to be true, then it naturally forms part of my worldview. Mm. So no, not one particular source. Yep. Not like Buddhism or or even sustainability or climate change, right? We just I just have discussions and debates about topics that I they just happen to happen. Like for example like this. Mm. and then if I think that there's something that res- resonates with me then I edit that. interesting myself. I guess in closing I have two more questions um, I'm curious to know what do you what, what challenges do you foresee Singapore facing in the next uh, let's say 10 years I think we will face political challenge mm. in where we stand. We've always tried to be like Swiss of Asia, right? Um, but we are fundamentally so small, like land mass actually makes a big difference in 
what you can or cannot do on a political arena in a global scale. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, Singapore is always a blip. We have only so many people, we have so few resources and uh, the sovereign land that we have is so small. I think we've done a marvelous job of, of staying neutral, of facilitating, of trying to be of value in any aspect that we can. But as our neighbors grow, yep. develop, the hunger that I've seen in those countries is way higher than most Singaporeans. Um, that, that advantage that we have will slowly be eroded. And that's why I think our government is always pushing to be at the forefront of tech forefront of human resource forefront of finance to continue to be of service like literally in the services industry to the region yep. so that we continue to have a voice continue to have our solidarity continue to have our identity as a sovereign nation so I think that will be challenged very strongly um, because of the nat- natural resources that our neighbours have what have you seen when a reactor school have conducted lessons in neighboring countries? What have you seen? What have you observed that is of particular interest? You mentioned something about the drive. Why, why do you think that is? Because as they are accelerating their development, right, to catch up with the more developed world, there is more space to grow. More space to grow. Okay. In Singapore, we've plateaued. Yeah. We have plateaued. Yeah. Right. We are, it's incremental changes we are making. We haven't made a big jump. Whereas, let's say we are here. Mm. Uh, in the, the developing like ASEAN region is like this okay so there's still this gap for them to catch up with. Yep, yep. and then within the gap lies opportunity and people can see it and they're trying to drive towards opportunity and so they're going to chung for it yep. once you get to our point right we'll be competing with them but we have so much less in terms of resources just limited that's where we will struggle and that's why I think Singapore is trying very hard to be the facilitator of the ASEAN block facilitator of the ASEAN block okay uh, ASEAN but we are not a united group yeah we're not not like EU yep EU is like boom, like Euro everything right? they yep. work together yep. uh, it's a bit dysfunctional right now <laughs> <laughs> but, like the ASEAN block is, is not established in that yep. sense so we want to create ideas lubricate conversations yep. create multilateral ties so that we are the nexus of this development and therefore we are re- valuable and relevant. What type of thinking would, would serve uh, such such an idea? I would imagine the, the, the old paradigm of regurgitation in, uh, regurgitating information is not going to help. Mm-mm. Yeah, because Google can do a better job than you. First and foremost, our youth and our populace need to understand that Vietnam is not just Ho Chi Minh City and the rest of it is backwater mm. it's still a very prevalent thought in our Singapore youth like they are third world countries everything is very slow we've got no internet mm. Indonesia is 130% mobile penetrator you know 100 hey, wait what <laughs> what, what do you mean 130% people, like some people have more than one phone mm. they have skipped laptops they've gone straight to the personal handheld computer <laughs> And they are exploding in terms of tech. Yep. Once their governments get their stuff together more properly, we are in very, very <laughs> strong competition. Yeah. We face very, very strong competition. Um, so what I've seen in the ASEAN countries is that drive to learn, the drive to catch up. 
they drive to make their mark because yep. they have the opportunity to make their mark. And ASEAN youth, sorry, Singapore youth need to immerse themselves in these places. They need to send themselves overseas to Vietnam, to Cambodia, yep. Indonesia, Bank, like Thailand. See these peoples as our compatriots. Compatriots. As our partners. Not competitors. No. Why not competitors? We are so small. Compete for what? <laughs> okay. Work with everybody, you know? Okay. Leverage the resources that they have. Build mm. partnerships. Mm. Collaborate. Become an ASEAN citizen. Mm. Not Singapore. So like, I, I, like our leadership has mentioned that the Singapore citizen of the future is not Singapore bounded in Singapore. It is the Singaporean in Denmark. It's the Singaporean in the US. It's the Singaporean in Thailand. and Singaporean in, in Laos. Bringing back all that and contributing to our nation. I think that's the way you can survive. Uh. You got to level up those soft skills, man. And more stats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Overcome cultural differences. Overcome cultural biases. Yeah. Um, I would imagine if these are the conversations, if, if these are not talked about, it's going to hit a population or a generation like a ton of bricks uh, where they realize that a lot of the jobs are going to all these other countries and they're not aware that I'm sure I will agree with you. There will come a time where these neighboring countries will catch up because we have plateaued and due to the limitations, we can only plateau and increase maybe like 1% or 2% just in general. And they have so much gap to cover. And I guess the the, the common consensus from my friends that travel overseas to, to, to do business there, it's like they're hungrier. Yeah. They are just straight up hungrier in every sense of the word as compared to the people that they want to hire in Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> Is it yeah? Is it's a it's a matter of opportunity cost ah. If you can comfortably get a good job, have a comfortable life without risking much, if you're not risk averse, right? If you're risk averse, right? Why would you want to risk things? Whereas if you're let's say for example you come from a rural village, mm. and if you don't work hard, you don't take a risk, right? You're gonna get stuck in a shithole, you know. Yeah, interesting. Okay, that's that's a poor choice of words, but like. You're going to be left behind in terms of, like, as you said, technology and stuff. Yep. Uh, quality of life. Your opportunity cost is way less. Right? Mm. And, okay, so, <clears throat> like, my peers, my my journey into education, right, has, is of that type. What do you mean? Opportunity cost is high if you view off the beaten track. Opportunity cost is high. Oh, okay. Why risk it? Yep. You just do this, 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 you get that law. Quite, quite straightforward. Yep. yep. Become a scholar. Get this job. Yep. Get paid a lot of money. Yep. <laughs> Cushy life. Yep. Right. I mean, Cedric Paribus, if that's what you care about and that's what matters to you, you want stability and security, why go off the beaten track? So I think for those who have a lot less to lose, right, taking a risk is the logical choice. A very, very clear example is like, you can get very, very good tech talent in Vietnam for one quarter the price or even one tenth the price in Singapore. That's going to fuck things up, man. Yeah, what's your relevancy then? Yeah. Why should I pay you like so much money yeah. when I can get the same over there, yeah. you know? And that's what's been the case of outsourcing of these, these, these projects and skills. So yeah, we need to change our mindset uh, about the region. Start reaching out more, collaborating more, understanding them more. 
and is, us, them understanding us. Is it too late? No, I don't think so. What about the... We still have things to offer, still. For the time being. Correct. <laughs> for the time being. It's still there. And that's why our government also has been trying very, very, very hard to send people overseas. And not to US, not to China anymore, mm. but to ASEAN. Know thy neighbors and love thy neighbor. And then grow together. Lah. Because we want the ASEAN bloc to be the fourth largest economy in the world. So right now, America? China, India, America. Mm. And the fragmented ASEAN. Yep, yep. Right. But by 2050, we could be the biggest, fourth biggest. Hopefully in your in our generation. And we this will be the driving force of the world. Lah. That's the idea. And we want Singapore to be like in the middle of that. Right? So our As conversation our conversation has focused a lot on youths, 13 yep. to 24. What yep. about 25 and above? Uh, are <laughs> so we all fucked? That's, that's, not, that's not my, my company's uh, <laughs> focus area. Um, that's not our focus area. So we don't, I mean, as a startup, we have to focus our resources, right? We yep. can't serve the world. So we are focusing on this group. The rest of us, we are adults, lah. We figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess in closing, I'm curious to know if you have consumed something like media or you've talked to someone and you learned a different perspective, meaning that have you consumed something recently that surprised you? Well, I guess a flipper answer because Trump always surprises me. Um, mm. That's a very good question. Something that I should think about more often. <laughs> Maybe it's a it's a it's a it's an example that I haven't been reading stuff that that challenges my worldview enough. Mm. But then again, my friends will tell you like, I'm very accepting of things. <laughs> I just so you don't ask why enough. I I accept. I it's like for example, I won't reject a different view. Mm-hmm. I was like, makes sense. Okay. So in that sense, it doesn't really surprise me. It may not stick in my head as something that's like, whoa. No, never thought of it that way before. Yep. Even if it's like something like I haven't thought about before, it would be something like, that's interesting. Cool. <laughs> that's kind of like my reaction to things uh, in life yep. generally. That's a good question. I need to think about that. I don't have an answer for you right now. Um, but if I do, I will let you know. Okay. Conversely, uh, who do you... Uh, who do you look up to, not as a mentor, but let's say whose content do you like consume? Do you like learn from? Like, do you have any like a uh, particular uh, person of interest and like like people? Do, can can you recommend certain people of interest? Yeah. Mm. Um, my team reads quite a lot of YC stuff. Y Combinator. What's that? Y Combinator. What's it's that? uh, it's the world's most successful um incubator. Okay. Accelerator. Uh, in the US and they have very easily understood concepts on the startup space that are that, that, that they share by different speakers from different companies yep another one would be um, I really like Ray Dalio's book Principles. The Principles okay yeah I would recommend it it's not easy read it can be a bit dry mm. what do you get out of it? he shares his work principles and he also shares his life principles. Yep. And you can use those as a basis to shape your own. So I actually started writing on like what are some of my life principles, you know? What mm. are some guiding things that help shape what I what I say, how I behave, how I think. So it kind of resonated with you, whatever he was talking about in the book. 
yes, it, it gave me more structure towards how I have my principles. Okay. How I thought about my principles in life, my values in life. Do you remember the time or the age where you were at there? Not too long ago, two years ago. Okay. Yeah. Before that, I, I had a vague sense of what these things were. When you push came to shove, I would never know what step, what directions, what decisions I'll take based on my values and my principles. Yep. But I would not be able to articulate them as clearly. Um, what else? There's one other thing in the back of my mind. Actually, I do quite look up to Bruce Lee as a philosopher. Interesting. Yeah. Is he, is he known to... <laughs> mm. Epically enough, not only is he like the epitome of martial arts for the longest time, yep. but he was a very young philosopher. I'm sure you heard the phrase like "be like water," right? Yes. <laughs> what is that? What's, what? What? Be so, ad- so when he says that, there be is adaptable. It means be adaptable to you. S- soft and hard as water. Mm. So water is very very soft, right? You cannot yes. push it until you compress it too much. Of course. Um, it's very malleable. But at the same time, uh, if you have a jet of water hit you, right? Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. So there's a lot of investigation you can do into his words. Um yeah, so that's another person that I, I do I do read into. Yeah. Uh partially also leak on you mm. as a visionary. Yep. And more than that, as a man of execution. Very controversial figure, of course. Yes. Uh, but in the way he executed his vision and the way he managed the people around him and of course he had a magnificent team like wow I don't know when we were going to see another team yeah, yeah. it's crazy eh. um, like video you right uh, neither civil nor server not an epic book name yep, <laughs> yep. Um, yeah there's, there's another guy I look up to I think it's interesting Um, like as you mature as you grow up you realise that uh, the 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 terminology or the definitions of good and evil as two ten poles or two boundaries they kind of just blur. Yeah, yeah, because it's really all just about perspective. Because yeah, yeah Lee Kuan Yew, I think he is amazing. I think he has done a lot of good, but conversely, he has also done a lot of bad yep. to certain individuals. Yeah. So to say, it is it is. I think the man has sacrificed a lot for this country to get it and the entire team as well to get it to to, to for to get Singapore to where it is today and it's it'll be incredibly um what's the word for it insincere or arrogant to see that he did nothing or or, or you to only harp on his 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 uh the 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 bad things he have done or the just the good things yes yeah yeah it's you you get the whole picture lah and I think it's it is it is I guess I personally think it's quite wonderful that it's very easy to read up on this. You can just hop onto Google, know what to search, know what to look for, and just access the information and I guess make your own call yep. on, on the identity because it is not like reading through a textbook. Because let's say with a textbook or with let's say educational materials is usually kind of biased, or even through media, it's usually biased because it is it is one viewpoint out of let's say 10 or 20. But with talked about the way technology is today, Google is so uh, prevalent. You can just hop onto Google, search Lee Kuan Yew, pull up 20 articles, read all of them, access them, read his book, then you can get a very, very concise kind of perspective. You can read some of the, the memoirs of the people that 
he 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 charged with read their perspective and i think that gives any one individual a very good sense it informs perspective uh, there is a lot of agency like if one really truly wants to get a good view of someone or something yep exactly. fantastic in closing uh where can people find you where can people find the school where can people look <laughs> up the resources yeah where can you find okay so let's start with reactor um, our website is www.reactor.school okay <laughs> yeah quite straightforward um, we have a Facebook page we have a LinkedIn presence um, oh, and reactor. IG as well reactor school yeah reactor school at reactor school yep um, if you want to look for me uh, you can search Lim Weiyuan um, on LinkedIn L-I-M space W-E-I-Y-U-A-N can people just DM you or is it I haven't really had that happen to me before, but like, okay. <laughs> if you want to reach out, happy to chat. Yep. Um, generally, I like having conversations with people, like, you know, just ping pong ideas, yep. discuss things. Um, oh, yeah, I think LinkedIn would probably be the best, best LinkedIn. place to find me. I am not really responsive on other social media platforms. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a wrap. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.